This whole country just like my flock of sheep. We want to know what you intend to give away to the communists. He will bring destruction to our traditions. He looked in his heart and he thought in all humility how he'd like to try and change things. Rip off this city for a hundred grand? Yeah. It's, a, it's a groovy thing to do. I propose to demand from the House the immediate removal of the President of the United States. If I'm fighting for the rights of gay people, and I am, then I must fight for the rights of all people, you know, all the minorities, the senior citizens, the handicapped, the disenfranchised people, or I'm a hypocrite. And I'm a little bit too old to get into become a hypocrite. Hello, and welcome to Decades Podcast. My name is Deb Kuykendall, and... <gasps> This is a podcast where we watch two <laughs> movies, a movie from some previous decade. We've made it to the 80s, Yay. Uh, 1984 to be exact. I'm born. <laughs> no, you're not. Well, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. but you weren't born when this no. movie was made. I was. Yeah, we're getting in there. Two and, people are alive. <laughs> and the other movie that we watch is one from a more recent uh, time. Like uh, I think this one, the movie that we watched was released in 2014. 2014. 2014. Yeah. yeah so which is a, some exact number of tens. How many tens of years is that apart? Uh, 30? Oh, 30. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm so, Jacob Kuykendall. <laughs> I'm Nicole Lester. Yeah, the three of us are on this podcast together. <laughs> Welcome um, back, hopefully. Hey! <laughs> For this episode, we watched uh, from 1984 a movie called A Documentary, and that's important because we find it very difficult to synopsize documentaries, mm-hmm. a documentary yeah. called The Times of Harvey Milk, mm-hmm. and a documentary called The Case Against Eight, mm-hmm. which is about the... Um, Proposition Eight. Yeah, overturning Proposition Eight in California Supreme Court. Both of these are California. Mm-hmm. Both of these are about California, they're about gay rights, and there are trials involved. And there's modern political figures in both of them, which I was surprised oh, by. Yeah, both times I was surprised. That's true. And Hollywood figures. Yeah. Rob Reiner. Shout out to <laughs> Rob Reiner. And we didn't did, we didn't see Schwarzenegger in the case against eight, no, but he but was mentioned. a named uh, defendant. Yes. And they also explained that he was not going to defend the Proposition 8. So... It was very Reagan-esque of him. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> which we will clarify later. Mm-hmm. Um, this will all make sense. So hopefully. normally we, we synopsize the older movie first, which is mm-hmm. the movie that we just watched, which I think will be easier to synopsize because there was actually sort of a story arc to it. Mm-hmm. The other one was more a series of events that occurred. Yeah. Uh, the, the Times of Harvey Mar- Milk is, obviously, about Harvey Milk, who was the first gay supervisor elected to... The city council in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he was, 11 months later, he was assassinated by another supervisor, as was the mayor. Yeah. Um, and most people, I think, are familiar with that now. There was probably a time when they weren't. But mm-hmm. because a few years ago, uh, Van Sant, Van yes. Sant, Gus Van Sant, Gus Van Sant uh, made milk with Sean Penn and James Franco about Harvey Milk. This Who movie? did James Franco play? He played the boyfriend. The boyfriend. Okay. Who is basically not in this documentary. Correct. No, but I believe play. the photographs that they used in the documentary were mostly taken by Scott. His name was Scott. I can't remember his last name. Uh, the boyfriend in the camera shot. Oh, okay. Sure. Makes sense. Okay. 
<laughs> What's it about? <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. If for both of these movies, I'm going to get a little confused, and the reason mm-hmm. is that I uh, I audibled two books in preparation for this. One was The Times of Harvey Milk, which is I they didn't I watched a little documentary about the making of the movie, and they didn't say that this that the documentary was based on the book. But there's a lot of overlap, so there's mm-hmm. I have knowledge in my brain that does not occur in the documentary. Um, Nicole and I will stop you if we get confused. I'm <laughs> sure, sure, sure. The other book I read was called Love Wins, which is not about the overturning of Proposition 8, but is about the Obergefell versus Hodges sure. trial. Yes, um, sure. And they have so many similarities in how they, how they went about um, prosecuting mm-hmm. <laughs> the trial. That I'm probably going to get confused between the two there as well. Is that 2015? I was going to say, I think it's after the It is a couple years eight. after the case against eight. But not, can't be that far out in the future. Is it, if it's not 2015, then it would be 2016. I think it was 2015. And I remember 2016 pretty well at this point. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I think it was 2015. We, have, we went to law school with someone who was a part of that case. Yeah. And we will talk about that case later, Mm -hmm. because first we have to talk about Harvey Milk. Yeah, back in time. (laughs) Harvey Milk um, was a really interesting character. Mm -hmm. Um, He worked on Wall Street. You know, he had a a traditional upbringing, basically. He was, uh, according to the documentary, he realized he was gay when he was about 14, but I'm pretty sure he didn't tell anybody about it at the time. Probably not. He was born in 1930, so that would have been 1944. Um, In terms of gay, the gay rights movement, Right before World War II in Germany, there was a movement getting started that, that was starting to... This is not part of the documentary, by the way. <laughs> no. Um, but there was sort of a movement that was um, advocating for gay rights. Mm-hmm. And then the Nazis came and killed and yeah. captured the gays. And that yeah. was bad. And they things, were not, were not supportive for, of gay rights. No. And for decades after that, nobody was. And they're still not. No. No, Nazis still <laughs> probably don't like gays. In my understanding, not in fan. No. So that was right around the time that Harvey Milk, uh, my point being that it was right around the mm-hmm. time that Harvey Milk is realizing he's gay, so I doubt that he made much of a unlikely uh, comment about that. Um, he, I don't remember what he studied in college, but he became, he worked on Wall Street. He mm-hmm. was a, he wasn't a stockbroker. Uh, they mm-hmm. said what his, what his role was, but I can't remember exactly what job he performed, but it was a very conservative job. He wore suit to suit to work every day and worked with the... Um, money yeah sure <laughs> and then the 60s happened and um he be- he was a little more out and became involved in new york the new york theater scene mm-hmm. became a producer uh, you know took drugs grew his hair long he was not much of an activist and i know that from the book at that point in time it was later that he became more of an activist but mm-hmm. at that point in time he at least became more aware of the culture and became you know, more involved in the culture. When he moved to San Francisco, that is when he started to become a little more active in terms of wanting to get involved in politics. So he moves to San Francisco. He's in his 20s, maybe? I think he might have been older maybe than 30. Because he was in his 40s when he was finally elected. Okay. And they had said he ran, he ran three times, he ran three like from 73 failed. to 76. Okay. He would have been, if he was born in 1930, he would have been 43 to 42. You know, he was in his mid late, 40s, mid to late 40s. Okay, so he moves to San Francisco in his late 30s, early 40s. He opens up a camera shop with his boyfriend, 
In the Castro district? In the Castro mm-hmm. district, okay. yep. And the other thing that's going on uh, that we didn't see a lot in the movie, but people probably would have been aware of it at the time that the movie was made, was that um, there was a long period of time when the police just rounded up gay people and beat them and put them in jail, and then they couldn't charge them with anything because they didn't do anything, and they'd let them go. Yeah. Mostly gay men. They just didn't really have any recourse. They just tried to stay secret except when they got together and then eventually every once in a while would be raided and the police would just beat them up and mm-hmm. throw them in a paddy wagon. Sometimes they'd just take them out somewhere and beat them up and tell them you can't do anything about this. That's, yeah. That was going on in San Francisco. Just general fascism crackdown style. Right. Police they alluded behavior. a little bit to that in the movie with the union leader sort of mentioning that he had heard of these things mm-hmm. and, and previously was, in was not in trouble yeah not troubled right. by them and this was one of the around. that was one of the good things it was a very good documentary yes yeah, it was it not was. as good as hearts and minds but it did have in common with hearts and minds hearts and minds is the documentary we watched uh that was 10 years before also both these movies were academy award winners 10 years mm-hmm. apart for best documentary Hearts and Minds was about the Vietnam War and the structure of it was mm. they interviewed people and then the story sort of progressed as they told more and more of their story in sort of a staggered way. Mm. And this movie sort of did that too with the bit. with the union mm-hmm. guy in particular because yeah. he started out saying, I went to this meeting and they said we we're going to support this Harvey Milk guy and then they said he was gay and I said, how can we support this fruit? I can't go back to my union guys and yeah. say right. this. And then, <laughs> by, <laughs> and then by the end of the movie, he's like, you know the police used to go and harass gay people and I and a lot of people thought that was okay and I thought it was okay until I actually got involved and knew who these you know yeah, yeah. I was personally involved and now it's not good anymore now I realize they're actually human beings yeah. and they I mean he says that he says that I mean he doesn't use those exact words he's fumbling a little bit to articulate it but he says you know I didn't used to think of them as us Right. Which I took as human, you know. Right, exactly. That's what he means. Right. But he also says, when he describes us, he talks about all the minorities. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ethnic minorities in San Francisco and... And disabilities and the senior Mm -hmm. community. and So it was like he went from... I'm sure he wouldn't have said disabilities before he was involved in this either. (laughs) Right. But, But he became aware that the system doesn't treat everybody fairly, and that includes the rank and file union guy and Mm -hmm. the gay guy they both have the same problem and that was the the magic of harvey milk was that he could help people understand oh we all have this we're different from each other but we have the same problem and we really should work together to to solve it and i think that um how effective harvey was on these issues really um brought him into the fray he's he's introduced pretty early in the movie and Mm -hmm. he talks about how um one of the big things to the unions was the Coors beer. Yeah, They had been trying nationwide (laughs) to sort of boycott boycott them. And Harvey had effectively removed them from every gay bar in San Francisco and had been much more, you know, pushing that movement and made progress on it than they had ever. And so that sort of brought him into his, you know, worldview and was like, oh, okay, this guy's actually doing stuff that we care about Mm -hmm. and doing it effectively. Right. And maybe, he's doing maybe, it for us. It's yeah. not even for It's not even something community. that benefits him. He right. believes in, you know, labor and that wants to get rid of this anti-labor beer, which, by mm-hmm. the way, they still are, so don't drink Coors. Don't sure. drink Blue Moon. You know. Yeah. It's the same company. So uh, from the book, there had actually been several different beer companies that they were boycotting, and Coors was the last holdout. The others actually folded mm-hmm. as a result of Harvey's oh. uh, activism. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, the other thing that he did, and this is in the book, but not not shown as I mean, the book just tells you more about how effective he was, and mm-hmm. also his life, which was not we didn't see that much about his no, life in very in the movie. It. It's just his successful political career, basically. <laughs> right, but some part of his success was convincing people to do things they didn't want to do. Like, for example, he created like this, uh, uh, like a neighborhood organization. I don't know what do you call that a neighborhood. Um, I'll just say organization. Yeah, it's a different. Good there's to me. another word for it, but sure. uh, you know, with different um, business owners, association. Yeah, an association where okay. they like pay dues and they try to promote business or whatever. And he wanted to get there were two banks, and he wanted to get the two banks involved to join this association. And the way that he managed to do it is he got he he basically pitted them against each other. He went, he went, Bank of America, I think it was Bank of America, said, we're not doing that. And the other bank said, we're not doing that. And then he pointed out to the other bank that an awful lot of your customers may be gay customers, and we could just take our money out of your bank. And so they paid their $25 dues, which was all that they needed to do to join the association. Yeah. And then he told Bank of America, <laughs> well, they did it. You don't <laughs> want all the customers leaving to go to this other bank. Right. So, Wasn't there something in the movie about people burning their Bank of America cards? Yes. Yeah, was that before or after? That, I think that was after. That that had to do with something. Some other. It was something Harvey Milk had been involved yeah. in. I think the union guy it describes him that way. Like, here's this guy burning his Bank of America card. I saw him out on the street or whatever it was. Yeah, I think that had. Wasn't that more to do with the earlier activism? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But so anyway, he was. Ex- this was side. That was part of how he rose was by doing these much smaller things but they were things that affected the community and got the community on his side like uh having a gay i don't know if it was barbecue or some kind of festival that he organized and the the business owners on the street who were not gay were like we don't want this and then a whole bunch of gay guys come into the liquor store and buy <laughs> right. a bunch of liquor and it's like oh no maybe i'm actually I'm in favor of this <laughs> i changed well, my mind and they mentioned that you know one of the reasons that he was sort of unsuccessful originally was because the position he was running for was citywide voted right. on mm-hmm. and that um, after the mayor was elected, he changed it to district voting so that you're really being elected by your neighbors, Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which he was such a big presence in the community. It was much easier for him to get through. So right. finally, <laughs> you could also tell from the documentary that he was very charismatic and yeah. a very good speaker mm-hmm. and he knew how to. He knew how to he was get people savvy, on his side. but like not in a smarmy way. <laughs> yeah, not in a crappy way. Right. And I think I mentioned AOC. Is that exactly. what Exactly, in an name? AOC <laughs> way. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's I, right. It, because he was so genuine and he, he also didn't do what was expected. Like mm-hmm. when he voted against Feinstein. Feinstein? 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 Diane Feinstein. I, I've, I've always <laughs> said Feinstein, but when I look at it, I'm like, oh, it probably is Feinstein. I'm not sure what's the proper way. I've and heard it in described the, Everybody in the documentary ways. said Feinstein. So. Yeah, we'll say right. Feinstein so, for the documentary. Right. Sake. So Diane Feinstein was the president of the city council, which is... The supervisory, the supervisory board. <laughs> right. Yeah. They were... Yeah. Same thing. Um, which is the thing that Harvey Milk, he was the first gay elected official in Sanford... Anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Nationwide. I, I mean, at the very least in San Francisco. In San yeah. Francisco, when he was elected supervisor, he was the first... The other thing that reminded me and I think you guys too of the recent November election was how many firsts there were in that specific Mm -hmm. election, which also makes me wonder if there were some other things going on politically Mm -hmm. at the time. Almost certainly. Because I had the first African-American woman, the first Asian man. 
mm-hmm. uh, the first gay man. Yes, and Diane Feinstein, <laughs> although this was not her election. She was the first president. Yeah, she was a, a very... First female president. Right. Very politically connected and powerful already woman on that supervisory board. Even though she had only been involved in the position for seven years. Yeah. So pretty big rise for her. Mm-hmm. So um, the movie starts with her coming out and announcing that George Har- Moscone, George Moscone, the mayor of San Francisco, and Harvey Milk have been assassinated by a third supervisor, Dan White. White. Dan White. How appropriate. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, a very white <laughs> man who... Now, it was my understanding he was a fireman, but they kept saying he was an ex-cop. I'm going to look that up. So, and... And the reason I thought he was a fireman was because I watched the little documentary about this movie, and they they actually talked a little bit more and showed more scenes of Dan White and, you know, him. There are scenes of him that weren't in the movie um, leaving his job, saying, you know, it's my last day, he's talking to his fire chief, I thought it was a fireman, um, getting his last paycheck and... Fire hmm, department. And leaving. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it also said that his dad was a fireman and his like his uncle was a fireman and his brothers were firemen. He was a police officer for a little while. He allegedly quit the force after reporting another after reporting another officer for beating a handcuffed suspect and huh. then joined the San Francisco Fire Department. Uh, he saved a woman and her baby, which was covered in the San Francisco Chronicle, and it was probably what led to him that. That led to him shortly after that becoming a supervisor. Okay. Well, he quit to be he quit when he was elected supervisor. He, quit quit the fire department. Yeah, the fire department. He quit the police department. He quit the police department for a different reason. Yeah. He joined the fire department. He got some press for being a hero, and then became supervisor. Okay. Right. And so, and at some point, he he is overwhelmed, probably depressed. And he quits the supervisor job. This is this is part of what happens in the documentary. I, I just kind of jumped ahead, I guess. Yeah, and he quits because of Harvey Milk? I I'm a little no. unclear on well, how that... Well, it was sort of implied there. that um, in terms of swaying other votes, that mm-hmm. he was not good at that. He was not good at talking to the other assembly... Or I keep wanting to call them assemblymen, <laughs> supervisors, mm-hmm. and sort of trying to sway them and do the negotiations. He really was just sort of like, I'm going to pitch this and everybody should just agree with it's a good it idea and, and yeah. he didn't have any of those sort of behind the scenes um soft skills mm-hmm. that a lot of politicians have and so he became frustrated because he could never get anything accomplished that was on his agenda while at and the same just, time harvey milk was very on tv fighting proposition six and yeah. which we mm-hmm. haven't gotten to yet right. either but yeah and so he just threw a temper tantrum and quit Quit. although the implication is that there was a lot more stuff going on so when he quit his job as a fireman, he was getting paid a lot less as a supervisor. Um, and he, in the clip that you don't see in the movie, he basically says, well, my wife's a school teacher. And I think with my supervisor job and our and her teaching job, mm-hmm. I think we can get by. And there's some implication that that wasn't really working out as well as he had hoped. You also, just drive he, Uber. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Work okay. something out with your grocery store guy. Side hustle. Uh, also, he had just had a baby. Sure. So that was another thing that was a... And, you know, you get the impression that he is this traditional man <laughs> from, uh-huh. a, you know. His neighbor th- describes him as all-American. I can imagine that's frustrating. If you grow up your whole life thinking if you just behave correctly, that things are supposed to go your way. And he checked all the boxes, you know, like 
Yeah, he, sure. He was a decent he's in the army. man. Yeah, he's he's got a job serving, you know, his community and his beautiful wife and they just had a baby and yet he's not making ends meet and none of it is probably making sense to him in terms of his worldview. He's just not like getting why it's not working. Yeah. So I can imagine why he would be frustrated. Doesn't justify <laughs> his reaction, but no. well, I think I mean, you can imagine him being frustrated the same way that you can imagine People in the flyover states being frustrated by exactly the same thing. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think what is economic anxiety also ends up having a, a weirdly racial and or other oh. minority target <laughs> when that's not necessarily why you have economic anxiety. Right. And I, they didn't even, they did not even hint at this in the movie, but you, it is hard not to assume that him watching a gay man being very successful and getting a lot of press while his career is not doing anything is having a having an effect on his uh, attitude towards that man. I mean, we're trying to make some guesses as to what right. the reasons are. Also, if this were, I think that if this were 2018, he'd probably be described as somebody with PTSD, having just gotten out of, I assume, the Vietnam War, uh, serving briefly as a police officer, and then dealing with depression but we don't really know because there's no background but but we do see a pattern of behavior that he was a policeman and quit he was a fireman mm -hmm. and went to a new job and then he quit that job yeah and when things you know but you get very i think you get very little impression of what his actual personality is like except for except during the trial right and actually that's a credit to the documentary that they didn't try to fill in the gaps they no and they didn't try to like make him cartoon villainy you know, mm. like they didn't try to just describe him as this evil person right off the bat. Right. Which was probably hard to do since they were all Harvey Milk supporters. Because yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, nobody well, likes Dan sure, White and he sucks. Yeah, I'm sure they all had that attitude. So it was, uh, you know, remarkable restraint on their part to just sort of just the yeah. facts, ma'am it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in terms of the story, Dan White quits uh, citing stress over you know, finances and his family and mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Uh, and then a little while later, and I don't remember what the time frame was, he yeah, says, oh, wait a minute. I, I He quit suddenly, so they didn't yeah. have a replacement. And then some time passes and he says, okay, never mind. I don't quit. Uh, people want me to keep going, so I'm going to keep going. I've talked to my family and they said they'd like me to have a job. Right. So <laughs> he says, I'm going to come back. The mayor says, okay. And then the mayor finds out, oh, no, I can't do that. That's not legal. I and, can't just let him come back after he resigns. And people, including Harvey Milk, are saying, don't let this guy come back. We don't want him back. Right. Yeah, we want a new person on this board and we're going to have better votes if he's And we there. should have an election and elect a new guy. Yeah. Um, and... He is waiting to find out the the news as to whether the mayor is going to... It's the mayor, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mayor is going to allow him back. Well, at least temporarily appoint him to fill the vacancy before the next election. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not getting the news, so he gets a gun, gets a thirty eight caliber gun, yeah. fills his pockets with bullets, goes over to City Hall, climbs in through a window mm. because they had just installed metal detectors. Sure. Uh, I have to rephrase that because that's not what they said. Not suspicious at all. (laughs) Totally normal behavior. They had just installed metal detectors. He went in through a window. I can't say that he went in through the window because of the metal detectors because that wasn't, those weren't the facts, (laughs) ma'am. We report, you decide. Yeah, we can't guess what the intent he had of stuffing his pockets full of bullets and climbing in through a window. Uh, the defense lawyer would definitely say that's Everybody not why does he this, did it. you guys. Everybody yeah. climbs through the window. He was going in. through the window to talk to that guy. He, to talk to the mayor. Mm-hmm. He went to the mayor. 
he in his confession he says you know he begs the mayor for his job back and the mayor says no and so then he shoots him five times ah and once in the head yeah and then he apparently goes all the way across city hall to harvey milk's office without being stopped and he says he's going to confront harvey milk about he's going to Yep, right. Something. And in his confession, he says, you know, Harvey Milk smirked at me and I got all hot and I shot him. Yeah. According to the coroner, Harvey Milk was standing up with his hands in front of him when he was shot. When he shot the first time. Uh, Yeah, when he was shot. Yeah, so he was starting to stand up and put his hands in front of his face when he shot the first time. And then he was shot three more times while he was on the ground. And then Dan walked over and from point blank range shot him a fifth time in the the head. Yeah. And then the documentary's not exactly clear on this, or maybe we missed it, but then it sounds like Dan White gives himself up to the cops. Right. That's the implication. You so he's see arrested. him getting arrested, but it looks like he's in City Hall, but according to the wiki on Dan White, he actually gave himself up at a police station. Mm-hmm. And then Diane finds Stein. 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 <laughs> That's what we picked. <laughs> Feinstein uh, gives a press conference saying... Uh, circles back to the beginning yes. of the film right they're dead dan white is in custody yeah the movie opens opens with feinstein giving that press conference where she says that the mayor and Feinstein and harvey no. milk were assassinated you hear and, people gasping and screaming from the audience and then uh when she does it the second time then there is a, a candlelight vigil mm-hmm uh, that basically fills up all of Castro, the Castro neighborhood. Massive, maybe, massive Maybe more. Turnout. Like yeah. hundreds of thousands of people with candles, um, you know, walking for Harvey Milk in his honor. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the trial, which happened, I, I expect, a few months later. Yeah, it's not clear. It was not like a, it wasn't like years later. No. no. Uh, it was in 85, I believe, okay. that the trial occurred. Um, and it doesn't last very long. Wasn't it just like 11 days or something? It was an 11-day trial, yeah. Well, I mean, he, he had confessed, and he wasn't disputing that right. he did it. Right. It was He was trying to justify it. So uh, he used the Twinkie defense. Mm-hmm. Is this the case that established the Twinkie defense, or was that something that was... That's my understanding. I think it is, yeah. yeah I will double-check, but I, my understanding is that is where this is from. So basically the defense was he was not in his right mind because he was depressed and he was eating a lot of sugary foods. And so he couldn't be held responsible for his actions due to the Twinkies. Coined by reporters during their coverage of the trial of Dan White. Yeah. I think that is sort of... um, I don't think that was the actual crux of the defense. Um, I think they were really focusing on his depression. Because they played clips of his confession and him talking about, you know, his struggles and financially and things like that, that they reported were so um, resonating with the jury that the jury was crying hearing this confession. Yeah, but they also, one of the um, interviewees, the guy who was the head of the affirmative action, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name, he also said they made sure that there were no gay people yes. <laughs> no people of color right it was a yeah. white jury it was an all-white straight jury right the twinkie defense according to wikipedia for whatever that is worth is that he's really depressed and one piece of evidence to support that you can tell he's really defense or really depressed is he changed from a healthy diet he used to eat to a lot of sugary foods like twinkies and to be fair you could tell that he had done that 
by looking yes. at him. <laughs> yeah, he looks like crap. <laughs> because in the in the early scenes, he is a very fit fireman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the point where he's on trial, he has definitely put on weight and gotten very soft. The Wikipedia also says it is a catch-all term for a very improbable defense is the Twinkie defense. Right. Yeah. It's a stupid defense. Yeah, it's dumb. Anybody who knows anything about depression knows that depression does not lead people to murder people. Otherwise, we'd have a lot more murders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was another clip, I think, that wasn't in the movie, but that I must have seen last night, which was basically Feinstein saying, you're basically saying anybody can murder anybody anytime. As long as right. you're sad. Right. Yeah. right. Sad people, murderers. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, and they, they touched on this, um, the speculation that um, when, oh, did we say that Dan White was actually <laughs> convicted? He's convicted um, of. But of voluntary manslaughter. Yes. So it was only sentenced to eight years for both killings. Right. And that people really felt like he got away with murder. Mm-hmm. And that. He um, did. He was not convicted of it. And, and they, what <laughs> they say is that if he had only killed George Moscone, that he probably would have been convicted of murder. But because he also killed Harvey Milk, that the jury sort of gave him a pass on it mm-hmm. and sort of excused it and justified it and understood it. Right. right. So that's not great. No, it's <laughs> not great, especially when Harvey Milk has basically no relationship to anything that happened to him, except well, that mean, they're both supervisors. It, he was, he did go to the mayor and say, you should not appoint him he wasn't right he wasn't the only one no 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 but he was the only vocal one because a lot of the other people but the mayor's the one making that decision he's just there killed (laughs) over it but he he was part of it and i'm sure that in general he was a frustrating figure for dan just to exist oh sure you know he just was sort of the opposite of everything that dan stood for it's it definitely seems that way uh and then they there's a big riot yeah, there's a riot. They smash lots of windows. They burned a lot of police cars. And you know what? I'm not familiar with that riot at all. No. But it looked like a really big riot. Yeah. It sounded big, and there was footage of it. A lot of, of police it. cars. <laughs> so, yeah, and I didn't see anybody getting beat up by the cops or, mm. you know. No, in fact, days. they said something about the cops being shaky. Yeah. yeah cops like were they scared. were scared. So, mm-hmm. that's weird. Well, I think, much like Stonewall, they weren't expecting that group. That particular discriminated against group. That to... rubs against my my stereotypes right. I <laughs> discriminate with. I, I don't believe they're fighters. That's yeah. kind of why Stonewall happened was that they didn't, that uh, they just kept beating them down and they're like, we're not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're fighting back. Yeah. And then the movie kind of ends just a little bit after that. Yeah. It's... They, oh, they do the Sad. funerals. Yeah. And uh, they interview the people and they all they all tear up. and Yeah. And for them, it's only, you know, like six years after the yeah. event. Right. <laughs> this is recent. Right. And we get that nice speech from the union guy being like. How much he's changed. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I was garbage before. And it's a shame. Yeah. It's basically right. what Right. And said. all those other people that are still garbage, it's a shame that they are. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's right. Like, I... Like we we skipped over Proposition Six, yes. <laughs> which is important because we're gonna we're about to talk about yeah, Proposition Yeah, I suppose that's eight. true. It's it's brief in this movie, so but it is important. One of the things that Harvey Milk was was uh, fighting against at the time that for he was only in there for eleven months, but during the eleven months, well, he started by putting forward a um, I don't think it was an initiative. I don't I don't remember what it was called, but some sort of legislation that said um, if you come out. Um, your employer is not allowed to fire you mm-hmm. based on that. 
Um, and I think that was successful. And then throughout the country, there were these waves of legislation being passed that said, nope, you can be fired if you're gay. <laughs> right. And California. Not only that, Proposition 6 was, was proactive. Yeah, it was a proactive mm-hmm. firing. That said, if a teacher is found out to be gay, they have to be fired. Right. They can't work. So uh, in, to put in some historical context, this is only 10 to 20 years after and I can't remember what the, I can't remember the number, but, um, and I can't remember the president it was, <laughs> uh, you know, he signed into law that you could not be gay and serve as a federal employee. Hmm. Um, and I don't think that was overturned until the seventies actually. Mm-hmm. And then in the nineties, Clinton did something a little bit more and then Obama. Yeah. Well, the nineties uh, was don't ask, don't tell. Right. Then there was don't ask, don't tell. So basically, I mean, they were treated, it, it, it lasted longer than the McCarthy area, but it was basically the same thing. That mm. if you are, you know, for McCarthyism, if you're a communist, then we can't have you in the federal government. And if you're gay, you, we can't have you in the federal government because you, you're compromisable. You yeah. could be, you could It's such a chicken blank. and egg thing. Ah, like you're right. only compromisable because we're making this a thing. Right. Right. Anyway. And I, and I, I don't remember exactly, but I think that was like, that was abolished in the 70s Mm. it lasted like 20 years for you know mccarthyism was much shorter the purple scare lasted way longer lavender scare that's what it was i thought it was pink (laughs) it was lavender the lavender scare uh was much more devastating hundreds of people were fired from the federal government so this was just kind of like on the on the edge of that then they there's a new wave of uh people trying to regulate Mm-hmm. I forget the name of the a... senator who was really pushing it, the one who had proposed it. The state senator. Yeah, Barris or something like that. Not not a great dude. And So Carter came... Oh, wait. Reagan came out against Proposition 6, Yeah, right? it was... Re- well, it was interesting the way it unfolded is that it really seemed like um, it was going to pass. Mm-hmm. That a lot of people in California were like, yeah, we don't necessarily have a problem with gay people like being hairdressers and things, but right. but teachers, that's where it's really drawing line. And it's because the proponents of Proposition 6 put out a ton of campaign material that linked homosexuality to child molestation. Mm-hmm. And even though that wasn't right. <laughs> the case. You get to see Harvey Milk really on, undercut uh, in a, uh, like on a panel talking to that senator saying well studies show 95 percent of pedophiles are are heterosexual heterosexual men so well, let's get heterosexual men out of the schools <laughs> by that logic yeah, yeah. It, it, it was not a good showing by the state senator mm. and then surprisingly um reagan came out against it and the implication was that um they could tell it would be constitutionally challenged and that it wouldn't hold up um, and so I don't know if it was conservative principles that were like pro-constitution or if it was financial considerations like we can't afford to defend this. Yeah. Well, considering, I mean, Reagan's pretty much known as the president who ignored the AIDS epidemic. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine that he was for gay rights. No, no. It definitely was not that. It was, it was one of two not. considerations. It was either he really believed that it was unconstitutional and wasn't going to back it or he really believed that it wasn't financially viable to defend against it because mm-hmm. it wasn't constitutional and you know didn't back it so was he what was, was he the governor at the time yes governor so. of california pretty sure sounds right so then uh, carter shows up he's the president he shows up 
for some event some in rally. California, some he also comes out against it. Well, he's he's told by his aide on a hot mic that both Ford and Reagan have come out against it, so it's safe for him to speak on it and come I out against it. I thought that was it. Jerry Brown, actually. Jerry Brown tells him, yeah. Um, and so he, it's a, it's a really quick thing. He had, he'd already given a speech. He was about to leave and then he sort of pulled back and he says, and, uh, one more thing, you know, uh, for this proposition six, don't support it. Yeah. <laughs> don't vote against it. <laughs> it bad. And the crowd goes wild and that's it. Like, it's like Oof. one sentence sort of blurb yeah. that he puts in and mm-hmm. surprisingly it fails, which is amazing <laughs> because it really right. seems like it was going to pass. So big, big change mm-hmm. for California. Yep. I think we did it. <laughs> Those are the times of Harvey Milk. Yeah. Should we talk about the other movie? The Case Against State? Yes. And there's a whole lot of overlap between these two yeah. movies. There is. So for one thing, The Case Against State is about Proposition 8. And yeah. Proposition 8, so basically the Supreme Court of California said that it was unconstitutional to deny gay well, people there was, the right to marry, right? Well, originally they had been granted the right to marry in certain pockets of California. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, San Francisco said <gasps> you could marry. And then a statewide initiative was put on the ballot saying, we're defining marriage as between one man and one woman. That's right. right. And that and passed. passed. And so then people who had already been married got a form letter in the mail that said, just kidding, this is void. If you want your filing feedback, yeah. we're happy to refund it, or yeah. you can donate to charity. Congratulations, whatever. you're an old. Basically. Right, and so that's when. And this was, was 2008, I, I believe. Think it started. Oh, it might have been before that. No, no I think that it was sounds right to me. So we're talking about how many years? Later? Oh, you're right. It was 2008 because no, because when Proposition Eight passed, it was the same night of the Obama election of Obama. Right, it was Obama's that's election. Right. That's very early in the film, and. And I remember I that. Cried. Distinctly remember <laughs> like, that. I happening. literally cried watching when, you saw the scenes, when yeah. I saw the scene of Obama accepting. I just was like, oh, everything is awful now. <laughs> I miss that so much. I remember that. I remember Proposition 8 passing on yeah. the same night. Like, I, this is within my political yeah. memory. Right. So, tw- basically, 24 years later, after Harvey Milk. No, 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 Harvey. Uh, 20. Sorry. 30 years later, 30 mm-hmm. years after Harvey Milk's assassination, then they passed Proposition 8 in California. Mm-hmm. Right. So it would have been also about 30 years after Proposition Proposition 6 was voted down. So this is a doc, one of those documentaries that has less of a story, but it follows the events of this trial, and it focuses on three-ish groups of people. Um, there's, and I'm not going to remember anybody's I name. I wrote names down. Good. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you give the names? So the lawyers are Ted Olson and David Boyce. I'm going to say. else think that David Boyce looked a little like Pat Buchanan? No, just me? Okay. <laughs> it really freaked me out every Maybe. once in a while. I was like, oh, I don't expect a liberal like <laughs> rationale coming out of that face. They're uh, the two attorneys. They're the two attorneys, two old white men. They are famous, or they're introduced as the two attorneys on opposite sides of the Bush v. Gore Supreme Court case. Right. And Ted Olson, the conservative lawyer, won that case. Yeah, George W. Bush's Bush. attorney. Um, right. And it is established, this is like one of the first scenes, that basically like they wanted to get him on this case because he's such a prominent conservative lawyer, but also would be willing to represent them, and he's a great lawyer. Right. So, right, and Proposition Proposition 8, marriage between is between a man and a woman, and they have two couples that they select mm -hmm. to represent, a 
unmarried uh, gay couple, Paul and Jeff, mm-hmm. and a once married, and then they got their letter in the mail, yeah. lesbian couple, Sandy and Chris. And Sandy and Chris have four sons. Yes. Two from each, each prior married. relationship. Right. And I think it is worth also saying, so Ted Olson, they hire, and Ted Olson says, I want co-counsel, and I want my co-counsel to be my opponent, Al Gore's attorney. And <laughs> right. so that's how they end up with that legal team. And it seems like they have different skill sets, yes, complementary skill sets. So. And also they talk about how they became friends during the Gore v. Bush trial mm-hmm. because they couldn't talk to anybody about it. Right. No one else cared except the two of them, so they would talk to each other. Oh, I think people cared, <laughs> but they couldn't talk to anybody. Right. Uh, it, it's a very, uh, they have a sweet relationship. Yeah. I, I probably would have hated Ted Olson in any I other probably context. probably did oh, hate yeah. Ted Olson. <laughs> Definitely. Like this but in the context of this movie, he looks like just the nicest guy. And he is yeah. so happy to represent these folks. And he's says, he explains how, why he's so passionate. And he really tries, you know. Right. Well, and that's part of probably why he... Right. Is a good lawyer is that he's very good at expressing everything. Mm-hmm. Anytime he speaks, what he says resonates. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. very impactful, even when he's just thanking somebody for toasting him. Yes. You get why they hired him and why he would, would be a good choice. Right. So they start in a lower court. Yeah, they, they have to. But what is the low? What is the lowest court that they start? Uh, a district court. District court, or whatever the California equivalent of a district court is. But I think it is district court yeah. here. And then gets appealed up to Supreme Court. Probably California and then Supreme the Court. Appellate court. <laughs> and then. And then it gets challenged. So there was goes, back down to the Supreme Court. Right. There yes. was a point where they had a single judge. It must have been the Ninth District, I'm guessing. No, that's the Ninth Circuit. That's ninth federal. Circuit? But it was just a district court. Okay, so they... you start with one judge, and then generally you get more judges the higher up you go. <laughs> right, but right the judge right before the California Supreme Court. They had a single judge. Mm-hmm. They did their whole thing. The judge, the judge decided in favor of the gay couples. Yes. And then the... Are they the defense? Yes. Yes. The defense of California. Defending basically. section. Proposition Proposition 8. eight. So yeah, the people or the, the lawyers. people that they sued were the state government as well as Schwarzenegger. <laughs> the sort of the campaign, the campaign for Proposition mm-hmm. Eight, whoever was involved with that, um, and that was when the state Schwarzenegger and them decided not to defend it. Yeah, they we weren't. don't like this, and we're not. And so it was it. just against the people who had been part of the campaign. Yes. So that's who the defendants are. Right. So then they have this one judge. I don't know if I wrote his name down or not, but um, it turns out. After he makes his judgment, then... Well, it doesn't turn out. No, it doesn't turn out. <laughs> it is out. then no. publicized. Yeah, we, the audience viewing the documentary, then comes to know that he happened to be gay. Yes. And so they use that as a reason why his judgment was not... They ask to have the judgment vacated. Vacated, right. Because the they say he's not biased. He's biased. Yeah. And then that gets appealed and that i think is what goes up to the supreme court of the united states if i understood the process correctly and then motion about getting rid of the judgment the first thing that they try is to say well these guys don't even have standing so they can't appeal this and so the ninth circuit says well we'll send it back down to the supreme court to see (laughs) if they can rule on whether or not they have standing and then they do (laughs) (laughs) right and so it goes back up and ninth circuit's like but also no, they're right. <laughs> like, yes, n- we're, we're not overturning this. So that gets appealed up. Um, the movie follows this court case. We're kind of 
jumping around a little bit. But I think we kind of have to jump around because legal stuff is boring. Legal <laughs> stuff is boring. It's very long. Like this is this the trial only... <laughs> goes for four years in their lives. Like it is a long time. The only interesting yeah. part of it is the decision, to be honest, in terms yeah. of the legal stuff. And the other interesting part is just their relationships of these people. Although they do involved. have some really fun, and they describe it as like Perry Mason-esque gotcha yeah. moments where, you know, during the deposition, they're interviewing all these so-called experts who had um, put in the literature that was the pro-Proposition 8 stuff, which was, mm-hmm. again, very fear-mongering. And I remember it. I remember all this. the children <laughs> and this is the homosexual agenda and they will turn all the children gay mm-hmm. if we don't properly protect marriage. Right. Um, and through all these depositions, they're <laughs> interviewing these people and one by one, the dominoes are falling and they're all sort of undermining their own mm-hmm. rationale. Yeah, they show an interview with a woman... Uh, and I don't remember. It's uh, Ted Boyce doing it. He's yeah. deposing these people, and in the process, David Boyce. Ted always. Oh, you're right, David guy. Boyce. And in the process of deposing them, he proves to them Their themselves <laughs> that they're mistaken about <laughs> that they actually are. It would be more American to get rid of this. So one by one, they all want to drop out of the defense because they're like we no longer support this <laughs> right. um, and then they have the one guy tam i yeah. don't remember his first name but he is like a crazy conspiracy theorist oh no no there's two guys there's still the tam who way wanted to get out oh, of it the, early and the guy who writes wrote the who book wrote the book yeah mm-hmm. and the guy who wanted to get out of it early because he's so crazy um they end up asking him like why do you believe all these things? And he says, well, I read it on the internet. Right. <laughs> it's, right. it's just baffling. Um, yeah. So they lose everybody except the guy who wrote the book. And I can't remember the name of the book, but it had something to do with marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which like is the an, decline of marriage or right, some, it's something like, hyperbolic. Yeah, some something. argument in favor of the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman and nothing else. It's procreation is kind of, the, I mean, that's the, the argument that yeah. they have to make is, Marriage is for procreation, so therefore it has to be between a man and a woman. People who can procreate, which and, doesn't, fall, and, which is stupid it's on the face all of it. So, stupid. and then the other argument is that the children of gay couples are are bad. They otherwise. turn out bad, right? And then, even though they acknowledge <laughs> that's not true, <laughs> and it's really studies, interesting yeah. because, in you know, in the court um, oral arguments, the judges ask the attorney, who's a very reputable attorney, they were made sure they didn't get a crazy guy yeah um they just ask him so what's the harm that comes from this and he cannot articulate because mm-hmm. those arguments harm. are bad legal arguments because, they're, right. they're arguments for a big they're bad moral arguments they <laughs> yeah. don't hold up so um, what is what one of the reasons i thought i was going to get confused between this movie and the book that i it's an excellent book i recommend it it's <laughs> called love wins it is written by uh, jim obergefell and another writer mm-hmm. Uh, Obergefell is the was the named plaintiff plaintiff in the uh, Supreme Court case that decided that it was legal for gays to marry everywhere. Yeah, nationwide. It's not it, that it's discriminatory to to not allow them to do that. That it's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, that book is way better than this documentary. By the way, <laughs> oh, wow. they should make that book into a documentary. <laughs> okay, it is. However, it's extremely sad. Um, they picked Jim Obergefell, and they started at the state level in Ohio because uh, he and his uh, husband had gotten married. They went to Niagara Falls and got married where it was legal. It was not legal in Ohio. Uh, his spouse, John, uh, gets ALS. Mm-hmm. And so he, they, and the book is very explicit about 
the his decline and that and what the effect of ALS wa- is, which I did not know before and don't get ALS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically he's going to die and everybody knows it. But because they live in Ohio, his death certificate will not say that he's married and will not right. name his spouse. So that is the case that they uh, the the first case that they take that they bring is just to get Jim's name on the death certificate. It's very narrow. Um, yeah. It and then once they've decided that and they win, then things get a little more complicated because then there's this the guy who the coroner. Mm-hmm. Then he has he has this death certificate he signs and is like, well, what if somebody else? What yeah, if this what about the next again? one? Right. The other case that they take up is the case of a couple of lesbians who have children. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if they were also in the state of Ohio, but um, they lived in a state where gay marriage wasn't recognized. They were married. They had children. The spouse who gave birth to the children was on the birth certificate, but the spouse who did who did not was not named as a parent on the birth certificate, mm-hmm. which means that if anything happens to her wife, who there's knows? no legal yeah. standing for her to keep her children Mm -hmm. right and so that was the other case that they that they brought they brought those two to the supreme court but there were other cases as well they just picked the ones but what what made it a little more compelling of a story was that the couples that they picked had a more dramatic story than just we're they specifically for the case against eight chose two couples that were very ordinary yeah there was nothing and they said they did extensive research on them they did background research they hired Mm -hmm. private investigators they hired their own opposition research to just really make sure that these were the model examples well i'm I'm guessing they did the same for for the obergefell except that they also needed to pick it's kind of frustrating you have to though right yeah for obergefell it sounds like they pick sadder stories more right more this compelling story the case against a both of these couples are very sweet (laughs) That is the impression right. I get. They're very nice couples who love each other very yeah, much. Yeah, they just really are really sweet. And they're making the argument that, like, these couples should be married. Marriage mm-hmm. is nice and these two people should have marriage. Right. And the other thing that was similar between the two is the argument that the opposition used was basically, but they can't procreate. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is, is like, a dumb argument. It's, so it's a dumb. bad argument and it doesn't, it's not a good legal argument. The other, the other probably more important argument was that the voters of the state of Ohio sure. or California or wherever, they voted for this. And what are you going to do? You're going to let a judge decide that what Also, the not a good want? legal argument, right. but a good <laughs> argument to bigots. Like, I mean, all it's, our arguments it's a slightly are, better argument than, oh, they can't procreate. They're all, okay. all bigoted arguments that yeah. are convincing only if you need... It's a, they're moral arguments. Right, but the, well, it's because ones, they can't they say are. God, right? You can't come into court and say, well, God says... It's that's bad. Not, right, which yeah. is what they actually believe. Yeah, it was that, in all their literature that this was not biblical marriage and that it's distorting the the historical definition of marriage and well, all this other nonsense. Yeah, and the dissenting... Yeah, the dissenting opinion in Obergefell was basically all about, well, since the Sumerian times, we're just, just not historically no, it's not. accurate. <laughs> like, Gay people invented in 1953. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, and I also kind of equated the union guy with the guy who wrote the book, because we didn't finish telling the story about the guy who wrote yeah. the book. So basically, Well, we wouldn't know the story about the guy who wrote the book. <laughs> well, but we started talking about him a little bit. Mm-hmm. The union guy, you know, he goes in the, in the harvey milk documentary goes from i you know i can't tell my union guys that we're supporting supporting a fruit fruit. (laughs) 
And then by the end, he's like, that's bad. People shouldn't (laughs) think those things. I was stupid. And anybody who still thinks that is also stupid. Yeah. Um, And so, but the book guy is funnier because he writes this book about marriage. They call him as an expert witness. And then uh, David Boys basically on the stand convinces him that he's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he comes out the same thing. He's like, I was wrong. I wrote and, this whole book, and I was wrong. And that they was, explained that that is why David Boyce, that's what he's good at, and that's why they brought him, is he is the guy to do these cross-examination questions. He will c- convince someone. And they interview that guy saying, if somebody else asked me those same questions, I'd answer the same way. Like, he, he admits. Yeah, he's like, like, I wasn't tricked. Like, yeah. that is the correct answer. Right. I just had never sort of, and he says it, I'd never been forced to confront this worldview this idea that um there is another side to this mm-hmm. beyond my beliefs and actually examining the other people and where they're coming from and really being confronted with that you know you can't <laughs> at that point right. then still be so s- stuck in the mud and refuse to acknowledge what the reality is so i mean good for that guy yeah i guess <laughs> it, it's weird because none of that was what the Supreme Court ended up ruling on, (laughs) which is probably why Obergefell needed to happen Mm -hmm. because the Supreme Court did end up only ruling on the standing (laughs) argument on, you know, whether or not the uh, appellants who were the supporters of Proposition 6 or Proposition 8 had standing and they were found very narrow, Mm -hmm. five to four, to not. Right. Because they couldn't demonstrate any particularized harm. Yeah. What what, what are you losing from this? So... So, uh, I don't, I don't understand the process that well. Is that the Supreme Court or the California Supreme that's, that's Court? That's the U.S. US Supreme Court. But I thought, so when they decide that they don't have standing, does that mean we're not going to hear you? Correct. Because that it was what you, they did. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It says, we're not going to decide on the merits of the actual proposition, whether or not that's constitutional or not. We're deciding on a very, very narrow term, which is you don't have the right to appeal this. So we are not we're not going to consider anything else from somebody who was not harmed by this decision by this lower court decision so you just have to suck it up because you're not harmed by this so then they all immediately run out and get married yes and then that's when (laughs) kamala harris shows up and other people show up just so we can see their uh them Everybody she was, gets she was their the chance. attorney general of California at yes. the time. So yes. she's there to There's the mayor. Marry, may, she's there to marry the lesbian marrying, couple. Yeah, Sandy and Chris. And she also makes a phone call to the Los Angeles, Los Angeles <laughs> County Clerk. County Clerk. Which is funny because in that scene I was like, Oh, I Karen and I went to a wedding there. I've been <laughs> in that room. Yeah, because the gay couple goes and tries to get their license and the court clerks are very nice but they're like listen we we don't have this decision yet we are not technically you do but we don't to, like, so give I'm you sorry. this paperwork you know let me let me talk to my supervisor and so get, supervisor's like we don't have it yet the line and but they do have a lawyer with them who yes. calls the attorney general <laughs> yeah right kamala harris and, and says like, can you tell these people to, <laughs> to marry issue a license she's like i'm your boss go ahead and start doing this now <laughs> when that poor guy's like He's okay like, <laughs> he, i mean he's I don't know, but he seemed like he was gay as well. So I think yeah. he was really happy. <laughs> On TV. <laughs> he, was, he was happy to be obliging. If that's what you say to do, I'll do it. But I understand, I mean, I understand the position. After oh, yeah. all of this, you don't want to then have this poor up. marriage again overturned on a technicality. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed before you give them the paperwork. So my, uh, as far as Kamala Harris and the mayor went, I felt very much like they were just there. Oh, yeah. To 
be there in front of cameras. I didn't even feel like they were for it. It was like, this is gross. Why are these it, people here? It's especially weird in the context of the documentary where you have seen no elected official. You have seen no one through this whole movie. Well, though. no. I mean, I, I disagree because there's a part in the um, arguments before the Supreme Court where the Obama administration sends someone from the Justice Department and says, we're going to join on. No, that's the only time, yeah. right? Is Obama, so, Obama's in this. I, th- I think there's probably more to it than that. I think it just wasn't editable. I think it's yeah, just, I think it's, it's, it just isn't taught because the, the documentary really, really, really focuses on the story of these two couples. Yeah. And it's just, it takes it out of that momentum. It's not n- part of the narrative structure. I don't, it, there's already so much confusion in how <laughs> the procedure of these <laughs> well, they have to be there. They're doing going. Marriage and there's too. nothing that in general, the California attorney general can do other than back the proposition right. and since schwarzenegger had already directed them not to <laughs> yeah or maybe they told schwarzenegger this is not legally tenable <laughs> for us this. let's not do it like he maybe he doesn't deserve the credit in this maybe it's hard to say maybe kamala does mm. so i don't know i he don't could know have backed it about, if he wanted to i'm sure <laughs> yeah i just don't know enough about it just felt really political their yeah. oh sure you know what it reminded me of but i'd rather the... it be political on the side of right <laughs> justice than the other way around it reminded me of the doc the other documentary you watched recently that one about the fire festival on netflix <laughs> where at the very end uh it's like chuck schumer's aide is in the background hanging out with one of the scam artists and it's like whoa hold on a minute there's like a political person who's just stumbled into this movie for a minute important because i mean and they touch about this uh in the documentary the, the case against eight where this is why sometimes um, the courts have to take the first step. They mm-hmm. have to be the one to really push these things through because a lot of times popular opinion hasn't caught up yet and right. is then swayed by these court cases. When they show the chart of how many people approve of gay marriage and don't and the rapid yep. change in those yeah. numbers just after this court case. And then you know, then you have in politicians who were very uncomfortable saying that they were for gay marriage, but they were fine with civil unions or domestic mm-hmm. partnerships. And they, they were very literally said that. they were not for Right. It. I mean, Obama yeah. wasn't right. when he first... And then over time, because I think this goes through 2012 when... Somehow it goes from 49.9 to 50.1, like... and, then, <laughs> and then they're all in favor. Of yeah, it. but I mean, and I don't care. Like, good. <laughs> like, you should be, you know, following that tide, you know? Here's my issue with it, though. Yeah, I, I I've been agree. alive for... 55 years and i've never thought there was anything wrong with gay marriage people people do change that we saw people change in both documentaries Mm -hmm. they had their eyes opened i don't think obama changed i think obama made some political choices i think the same is probably true of kamala harris and the mayor of la Uh, politicians are seem sure. to be I mean, a little bit flexible in terms of what they believe that's why we love harvey milk so much because he wasn't flexible he, was... <laughs> he just said this is ha- this is what's right and this is what i'm going to do that's why we like ocasio cortez is because she doesn't try to be political she's she could commit political suicide tomorrow because she would be doing what she thinks but ironically right. she won't because people love her like for this. Right, because we're hungry for it we haven't seen it in such a long time yeah, the reason I would disagree with you, Nicole, yeah. is that if there were if fifty-one percent of people decided tomorrow, well, gay people shouldn't marry. I don't want the politicians no, to go back no, the other I way. No, no, I don't want it to be exactly. I, want... I don't want it to be that wishy-washy. And I wish that they would come, you know, take the correct moral course 
ahead of time. But I don't want to punish them for then coming around and saying oh, you I didn't do. do it soon enough. No, because, it, and especially because I do know per- people personally in my lives who did make that journey. Sure. And, you know, and so I don't want to say that just because they weren't, you know, a, they weren't always feeling that way that they shouldn't now be given credit for feeling that way. I guess way. that's not what I, what I mean is not that, oh, I don't that it's bad. For it. <laughs> I think it is that we, that it's just an awareness. I, I am aware that, that, that people said this on this day and this on that well, day. But I also, but I don't want to like, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's something to be said for political flexibility as long as it's bending <laughs> towards the in arc of justice. Way. Because it's the same way as saying, you know, people people loved uh, George W. Bush because he was a man of principle and he wouldn't compromise. He paints those great paintings. And it was just like, yeah, but he's not compromising on things that he should. That I like. <laughs> like, that, that are wrong. And there's nothing noble about that position. Well, he compromised him now, now that he's out of power. Right, and so it's, it's yeah, I just, I think that... There's no um, motivation for politicians to come around and evolve on these issues if they're then never given credit for that evolution. I have a different proposition, <laughs> which sure. is that uh, I would prefer a system, maybe not the system we have now, where if a politician's opinions are bad, instead of politically hoping that they're politically flexible, just get rid of them and replace them with someone whose views have changed. Do you think that there's anything ageist about that position i know because old people can have we can elect an old person who has good <laughs> views don't you or think bad it's more likely that someone from an older generation will have made that evolution than someone from a younger generation and you're really cutting off a lot of no because i don't who would make good representatives if you ignore that whole generation no because if somebody runs on the platform of let's say i don't know gay rights I don't care what age they are because their views represent what I'd like to have in my elected officials, as opposed to electing somebody whose views may not, and then hope that they change when oh, public okay, opinion okay. sways. No, 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 no. We're not. We're not disagreeing <laughs> on that. I'm saying someone who currently is running on the correct platform, but maybe in their past hadn't had that position. Oh, see that. That's, that's that I'm, I'm willing to. Okay, okay. Then I'm willing we're to meet you halfway then. there. No, no, no. Then we're agreeing. Okay. I yes. guess I would prefer. I'm not saying that if they currently don't have the position, hope that they'll change their mind no. for a political expediency. I'm saying if they currently have the correct position, then I don't care if 20 years ago they were of such a mind that that wasn't. You know. I care, but only in comparison to someone who's always who's, held who's a good. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I do care. Yes. I just don't care. <laughs> As much. That's, I, that's that's all my position was, was I don't want to fault people who have made that journey and are now currently well, on the right side. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Just I mean, not all the way. Not I, not enough to like not support them. Not enough to say that they don't energize me <laughs> and devote third party. It, it yeah. depends because people can say whatever they want. They can say they're for something now that they were against in the past. Sure. If they say it in a way that makes me believe them, <laughs> then there's oh, that sure. too. You can up. absolutely be skeptical of it. And, and I think that's healthy. I just don't want there to be this conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory cynicism that all politicians by default change with the winds and that you can't believe that anyone makes a sincere journey and change their mind. I'm yeah, the they have to convince me. I, you know, I guess that's it. <laughs> that's if if the saying. thing that convinces... If the, 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 the thing idea that, that there's like is... this 
political purity and that there's a perfect candidate out there yeah. that's what i'm like i just don't want that I threshold hope there is that'd be nice <laughs> that'd be great but, yeah. but good luck but, <laughs> you know what I mean? but your idea of perfection and my idea of perfection right. aren't the same thing yeah so right and, and there really aren't that many candidates for us to vote for in the end what all... aren't there like a thousand well yes. this year <laughs> for now <laughs> I but mean, there no, there, there always are. It's just whether or not they qualify. Yeah, but there won't be <laughs> when all said and done. But that's the other thing. But there still so, will be like a dozen. One like, of them's way. One of them's going to be Kamala Harris. Yeah, and Almost I'm just certainly. saying, I saw her. I didn't feel and great I did about not that appearance. Feel very convinced that that was a genuine. The other thing, I don't think but they should have. I, 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 I don't, I don't, don't think the documentary should have done that. Mm-hmm. They should have had a nice, sweet marriage in a nice, sweet place. We didn't need the the attorney general there no it does seem but weird i think to show i think them. the same thing if obama had married them i don't think he was at that place either personally um and yeah, it would be good expedient but i i think he's there now and i think honestly kamala i don't harris know is probably but there it doesn't matter <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but it so, does matter if kamala harris is there i just yeah i just want there to be <laughs> a like reasonable equal standard for when people get to a position and then they're at that position good for them i'm ready to trash everybody up till the moment i have to pull a right. lever okay that's fair <laughs> we're, we're primary i'm ready right to now. yeah <laughs> i'm ready to talk shit about everyone up till let's say october well, but i mean and the, and the thing is then you have to sort of decide what's reasonable to get upset over because there's not gonna be a perfect candidate no. and everyone is gonna have something that you can be yeah. infuriated and i'll about. be upset about it yeah and and hopefully that's a good thing in terms of making them change that position right um but there's some things that like i don't know there's some things that people can't change in terms like it is their history it just is what it is and if they're at a different position now then yeah that, I... that history is relevant but it shouldn't be exclusionary it shouldn't d- d- disqualify them from being i'm willing to criticize everyone for everything i don't like forever <laughs> it's just what then i'll make my decision right yeah. like i i think that if somebody has a bad history that should be criticized and that if they've changed great and then in fact we'll i vote. think that someone who has, <laughs> you know i think someone who has changed who's actually gone genuinely yeah, gone would, through that journey you would is hope actually be better better than is is your best i, I agree because i think that they then can understand what needs to be done to bring other people right around to that position. They yeah. have a they have the perspective of being a person who believes there are the opposite. inside man right. <laughs> or woman. So that reminded me of a yeah. distressing uh, Facebook thread. No. Oh, no. So somebody All posted the something they had heard some guy on some other place uh, saying we need a pro life Democrat. Oh my nope. god! And Hard pass. Oh my wait, god! Wait, but that was the response. That Good. they wouldn't vote for a pro-life Democrat. And I'm oh. like, oh, so you're going to vote for Trump or not vote or <laughs> vote for some third party candidate? I think whoever the Democrats put up this one time, I'm voting. If if, yeah, if Trump sure. is the nominee. Right. 100%. I just don't believe, I don't believe a pro-life Democrat would make it through no, the primaries. No, 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 no. Right. I also I, don't believe that would oh ever Hell no. no. That's there would be set on fire. But, but ironically, well, not ironically, that's but not the term, but it scares me that people, they were saying this is a deal breaker. And I'm like, are there deal breakers? I think it's a deal breaker there in the primaries. Are. I They're don't think just... it's a deal breaker in the general. Oh boy. There are there, be, are there deal breakers? Well, it, the reason that is so under attack right now. The reason now. that I thought, had that thought and it is because I had the, the term deal breaker came up in my mind in regards to discrimination against gays. If the Democrats were to put up somebody 
who really couldn't get behind the idea of equal rights for gay people, mm -hmm. that might be a deal breaker but, for me. I mean, I, it's, oh, so, boy, yeah. it's so hard to do these mental exercises because yeah, it is so far-fetched to me yeah. that that would be the Democratic nominee. I just, I think we have come so far as a country and so far as a party that there would not be an anti-gay pro-life yeah, Democrat I I as the nominee. And it's... You know, your deal breaker has you to might be... as well. You might as well say the Democrat if the Democratic Party nominated Trump, would you vote for him? Like, no, no, <laughs> like deal breaker. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. What saying are we gonna that. do if both parties <laughs> nominate Trump? Right. The deal breaker <laughs> is gonna be like war with Iran, and it'll be like that is also terrible, yeah, but I'm still gonna vote for him, right? It's like, just, I just, uh oh, yeah, I think it's... we're actually gonna end up with somebody progressive i oh my fingers are crossed so hard i mean i just if 2018 is any indication then yes i just don't want it to be joe biden can i get on the oh record and say that yeah, is my dude, any literally like, anybody in the field I, but him I would was be great all for the papa joe per persona and yeah, he was a very sure. he was a great effective vice president vice president he is fine. not a good dude no like he has a very problematic record that he is not transformed and he talks on. shit right now and it is it's not great yeah, dude what is up with all these air quotes like the movie i'm <laughs> quoting <laughs> random quotes um progressive dudes who are not like just so like aaron sorkin came out oh, and was criticizing AOC, here, and sorkin. it's just like you guys mm -mm, you're, if you can't evolve <laughs> like you were progressive then for the early 2000s you are if you didn't continue mm -hmm. that journey you are not <laughs> speaking for us anymore well, and it is embarrassing thing, the other thing about that is if you are criticizing aoc right now you're ignoring the fact that the largest block of voters mm -hmm. are people that age. No, it is really not taking the temperature of the room. It is 100% uh, dismissing of the youth vote. And yeah. it's, it's very troubling because it feels like the Democratic Party likes to energize the youth and be like, why don't you guys vote more? Why don't yeah. you guys vote more? And Stop then when they do get involved, they're like, but okay, shh. Now the vote for this guy who hates you. Now the adults just are talking, and guts. it's just so condescending, and it's shooting yourself in the foot. And it's yeah. also like been going on since forever. Yeah, I mean, if you look it's, at it's the '68 like, convention, that, that was we had young people actually yeah. involved and like Robert excited Kennedy was about such something. a fire of a candidate, like, mm -hmm. uh, and they basically were ignored. Yeah, and it's just it's so it's so troubling, <laughs> like not it see is this troubling. <laughs> and I'm all for seniority, and I understand that that's good for getting positions and chairmanships and all that kind anymore. of stuff. No, because it is in terms of who runs. Yeah, it's based on your seniority. But I think I lost that. <laughs> that doesn't mean that when there is this basically a revolution that happened in 2018, like there was a wave of we have new, a non-political president, like diverse, diverse, diverse candidates. Yeah, to ignore that wave the impact of it and, or the and, significance and, and what what was inspiring people to vote for these candidates is such a short-sighted way of looking at things yeah it's, it's beyond me like these are the people you've been trying to rally forever to be a consistent turnout and then to just be like okay cool no hey you can thanks for, for that you can forget the youth vote we've had the last two presidents not a politician yeah young guy it's just that is, that's the last, what, like, it's going to be at this point and if we 12 don't years? Have, it really feels like if we don't have someone progressive that is nominated this time, that as much as they talk about the demise of the Republican Party, yeah. that the Democrats have just lost it. They just have no way to attract 
voters anymore. And yeah. that's in the face of a party that's falling apart. And that, that's, that's in their fact opponent. of a party that's not only falling apart, but it is rising fascism. Yeah. <laughs> like, going so extreme the other way that they're not yeah. even trying to be moderate or cater or bring other people over. I mean, I'm I would be I'm very afraid that what'll happen is we will get candidate Joe Biden or whatever. They'll not. easily win and then we will have 4 years of Blah. them getting trashed and then we will have like of the, of Hitler the Jr runs as the Republican saying, "Well, look, we just got another wimpy democrat in there for four years well, yeah, he hasn't done anything and elect me because they will they just will just they'll double try down to compromise well, and they'll try to reach across the aisle and they'll get screwed by mcconnell again yeah they won't do anything the other part of that is whoever follows trump is going to have to clean up trump's mess yeah that, and they're going to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. not actually being able to do, do more just things. like obama's first four years right you know? exactly yeah. and he doesn't and they get will have, credit for it either and they'll have a bunch of republicans still in the house and the senate who do not want to clean up that mess Mm-mm. Like, they will be fighting uphill against a lot of people. And if they are not, if the thing they're fighting uphill for is not a big change, if the thing they're fighting uphill for is like, well, what if we just backed it up four years? They will get crushed in the next election. You know, as much as it is devastating that political norms have been shattered so dramatically (laughs) by this administration. If that is the legacy that they leave, then Democrats should capitalize on that. And there should absolutely be none of this placating Mm -hmm. decorum bullshit. You can't put the should just be like, hey, McConnell, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Like if you want to be obstructionist, we're gonna call you out on it every day. We're not gonna like use Mm -hmm. euphemisms and sort of be like, oh well, they just really feel like this. No, we're just it's gonna be called out every single day the way that AOC does. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Just none of this. Just no I mean, beating around the bush. The Just reason she's like so popular, aside from that she's great, super smart, uh, is that she's doing that and it's successful. Yeah. People like that. Yeah. That is right. a successful strategy it's, it's, that people should emulate. It's the things that they say that they like about Trump when what they really like is that he's racist. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, he doesn't do any of that actually stuff actually. saying it like it is, but not being racist <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. insulting. So, yeah, right. I really hope that. Yeah, if we get a, a centrist in, I think that they will not be able to get anywhere mm-hmm. in four years and that we will have somebody even worse. And it won't be beneficial to the down ticket races. No. Yeah, you won't have a shift in the mm-hmm. makeup of Congress to go along with that newly elected president. Yeah, because everyone will, because everybody young will be pissed off and will not vote in their local elections. Speaking of which, to even talk about current events, there, I think there was some sort of... I mean, I guess it's probably proposed all the time, but so I don't know if this is any more serious than it has been in the past. Mm-hmm. But to uh, bisect Washington State into two oh, states. Yeah. yeah, I saw that. And let's just talk about why that's a bad idea, everyone. That's a terrible idea. Um, you know how it's so stupid that Wyoming <laughs> has two senators and gets an equal say and can hold <laughs> sure. things up when California only has two senators and hold, hold, you know, has a much larger representation of citizens Mm -hmm. imagine that but now that's eastern washington too like giving two more republican senators Mm -hmm. nothing would ever for the 12 people who live over there nothing would ever get passed again in the senate like the senate is already problem the last thing we need to do is add more minority representation there in terms of population not in terms of demographics (laughs) right we should make washington dc should be a state correct puerto rico Rico should should be be a state. state and we can get rid of the electoral college yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Let's uh-huh. just let's just work our way down the list. 
I think Pete Buttigieg said he wanted to get rid of the Electoral College. I think that's but I on just, his I list. I hear so many liberals love the idea of, you know, a Cascadia oh, of well, like, yeah. you know, getting rid of... Well, you know, I don't want to live state. near them, but... <laughs> but like... They're at this they point, make it hard for us. Yeah, but uh, you know what would be worse <laughs> is if. Yeah. They but got, I don't want them they to, got to really, <laughs> really make things See, hard the, for us. With us, you know, Washington State, the liberal cities have more influence. Right. More, As with every state. <laughs> right. And so if we were to. Yeah, we're just basically giving up our influence. Well, yeah. and also. And, not for any like moral reason. It's not like, well, people with different beliefs than me should get more votes. Right. Like that's there's no it's not like, well, you and I disagree on this concept, so you should get two votes and I should get one. Like no. Right. If liberals are for it, it's just because they're annoyed those people exist. Uh yeah. To some extent we need to be ruled by a majority in some concepts. <laughs> and there are more people who feel this way. I don't know. I am feeling a little promise. I feel a little promise looking at the policy agendas of the people who've announced on the Democratic side so far. I don't know how much of that is AOC and other people kind of pulling things to the left. But there's a lot of there's a lot of Medicare for all and get rid of the Electoral College and free college tuitions on those. We're pretty lucky because it is looking like Jay Ensley wants to run for president. Sure, yeah. And he is making some great progressive legislation <laughs> yeah, as his platform. Yeah, pretty cool. Like environmental policies, healthcare policies. Yeah. Like, good good for that. That's what I want to see. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Political expediency. Like, he knows the temperature of the room and he knows You <laughs> what want people to be excited. Give them stuff they want. Like, I am I'm for this. Like, it is making Washington a better place. I'd like right. Well, but healthcare. he also has the history of actually enacting those things yes. in the place that he's at he's not just adopting it for a sure. presidential run but i also don't know if you know that original platform was because he actually believed in those things or, or if, if he, he just yeah. knew that we did and i don't yeah. care good for that it's helping me it's making our state cleaner and nicer yeah. and well and to less some bigoted. extent that's really what your representative is supposed to do is sure, what correct. you want so <laughs> Yeah, I am. Um, I know we're talking about AOC a lot, but she voted down the Democratic government reopening bill. Mm, She's the mm-hmm. only Democrat to vote against it, and she was confronted on that. She said, "Well, included in that was funding for ICE, and my constituents mm-hmm. don't, don't want, want ICE. ICE to be funded, so I had to vote it down, and it was a tough call." And that's kind of what you want to hear, which was like, "People voted for me, and they have this particular yeah. view, which I'm going to go along with." Yeah. yeah. Boy, that feels good to hear. I wish that my state senators would do that yep. more often. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll see come February yeah, when we'll see how they more do. bills are introduced, if any movement mm-hmm. has been made on any of these things. Yeah. What a, what a <laughs> rousing. Yeah. Hey, the government's been has. reopened. We've got some stuff to say, vote on. I would say that I really enjoyed both these documentaries. I think it's the first time both movies <laughs> were enjoyable as opposed to just I one. I think so. I thought The Case Against Eight I really enjoyed, although I lost a little steam as it went on because the thing I enjoyed the most were the court drama, and they didn't have film of it. They had to read from the script. It's so yeah. funny to me that, well, that was because the court wouldn't. Right, but <laughs> I was them. like, but it's, it's so funny to me oh, I want to watch this. The reason I know it was well done is because even though I knew how it turned out, mm-hmm. I felt the anxiety of like, oh no, oh no, What's what, if they, what if they decide against them? Like, and just because of, it was it was them in the moment. They, you know, the Those couples were them. very cute, too. It was very compelling. <laughs> you know? Um, and it was striking to me that because this ended, you know, 
um, with yeah, that was 2014. How much has changed since then? Yeah, like, like the movie ends by saying that in 31 states it's still illegal, right, for yeah. gay couples to get married, and that's not the case anymore. And it's crazy to me that it feels like that's such an outdated way phenomenon. back in 2014. And it, just, right, it just was not that long ago, and it just yeah. So I don't know. It was just really striking to me. Yeah. I, I think it was a really good documentary. It's so crazy with the weird time vortex we seem to be trapped mm-hmm. in right now of going, 2014, it was way back a year and a half <laughs> yeah. before Trump was elected it was like or whatever. Like 100 years. Yep. Yep. Like, how far between that end of that movie and the campaign started? A yeah. year, year and a half. Yeah. That's uh, wild. Um, I, I really liked the Harvey Milk documentary and it won an academy award i don't know if i said that before. yeah oh yeah i think i did because in 1974 hearts and minds won in 1984 this it was uh, really good times of harvey milk won. it was very good i was a little disappointed in the case against date and the reason i was is because i had read i had read love wins mm. which was kind of by mistake because i thought they <laughs> were thought about the same <laughs> subject matter yeah. Um, but the Love Wins story was so much more engaging is the word that comes to mind, but it's mm-hmm. more like I was listening to it. I, I did it on Audible and I was like, you know, went on my went on my lunch walk around the park. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, the one chapter, it's about the decline of uh, John. And it's like, oh, <laughs> walking around the park with it was tears coming down. Manipulative, my yeah. but you yeah. fell for it. Yeah, right. they told the personal story of pretty much everybody involved. Anyway, they, it, it, it went into depth about each individual participant in these trials the defendant not the defendants the um what are they the plaintiffs? plaintiffs the plaintiffs respondents i don't know i don't know they're, you're the, they're they're the 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 sewers yeah the sewers the, plaintiffs. Plaintiffs. the sewers and the lawyers and how they got to where they were and how you know there was one scene in um the case against state where they talked about a a lunch they were having uh some people were having lunch and rob reiner was there and his wife was there mm. and and I can't remember what some event had occurred and somebody came up to, and they were talking about it. Oh, it was Proposition 8 had passed. Yeah. And they were talking about how sad they were about it. And somebody came up to their table and said, hey, my husband, the lawyer or whatever, he'd really like to get in on this. And Yeah, I think know, they mentioned sue. like my brother-in-law is Ted Olson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they start going, oh, yeah, we could do that. And something very similar happens in Love Wins where they're like, it's just like this coincidental uh it was a one of the lawyers was like giving it like teaching in a school and somebody drops out and one of his students says oh well my uncle would like to you know my uncle the famous lawyer mm-hmm. will would really like to join with you in this you know pursuit of this case yeah. i mean that's how you as a lawyer that's how you raise your profile right you become known for being good and then you do the big do, cases do more good <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. You help anyway. Bush win, doing good, and then you fight the Proposition yeah. 8. More good. I love in uh, the transcript of the, or no, I guess it was the actual audio recording of the Supreme Court um, oral arguments where Scalia is asking, like, when did this become, mm-hmm. con- you know, unconstitutional? Was it when the Constitution was written? Was it when oh. the 14th Amendment was passed? And, and uh, Scalia, was it, was it, it was from Olsen. the DOJ or was it Olson? I think it was, was Olsen. responding and he was like, well, I would ask you, you know, when did interracial marriage become <laughs> you know, constitutional? constitutional? Right. And Scalia was like, well, I, that's easy. I would say when the 14th Amendment was passed, but don't answer my question with a question. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, and it was just so interesting how much of 
like they stated, this argument has already been hashed. It was already hashed out in yeah, loving. This is the same um, argument. And and none of the none of the legal issues have changed. It's just mm-hmm. the players. Yep. And it's just frustrating because it's still happening. And like they mentioned in terms of the state legislation that was passed in San Francisco to protect against being fired for being gay, like that is still legal in mm-hmm. a number of states. And it's crazy to me that we can make such progress and not take it all the way and have the 14th Amendment protect people in that case in their workplace. Yeah, well, you know, now that Gorsuch is there and Kavanaugh, I'm sure, you know, (laughs) we're going to have more 5-4s for a while going the other way. It's shocking that Chief Justice Roberts has (laughs) become the moderate on the court, which... Well, maybe we can pack um, the courts. That'd be great. I mean, there's nothing to stop. Come on, president. There's pack next, the courts. nothing to stop the next, fingers crossed, Democratic president from mm-hmm. just appointing new justices, whether yeah. there needs to be or not. Point everybody. We'll all do it. Make, yeah. Make it make it an 11-person Supreme Court. Yeah. Just keep making it bigger. Don't we tell you to stop? <laughs> <laughs> it's also, I, I think I mentioned this before we were recording. It is really strange, because now we've reached the 80s, that because our political class is basically frozen in amber. Now we just see the same people who are like Diane Feinstein, Feinstein? I forget what we decided. <laughs> Feinstein, I think. Feinstein, Kamala Harris, Jerry Brown, like political players that are still powerful political players now are like, there they are. They're not young in these movies. They're just still there. It's just like, yeah, we haven't elected anyone new for I mean, but decades. It's, yeah. it's been a phenomenon for years that when people are asked in general their attitudes about politicians or Congress, that they have a very unfavorable opinion. But when asked about their <laughs> specific representative, but they're great. they have a favorable opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, it's the concept of legislators that they have an issue with, but not theirs. They're all bad except for mine. <laughs> yeah. So. I feel like that's changing. Things to so. be sort of... I mean, we obviously have a young new class of representatives. I don't think that's going to maintain. People are so sick of it. Well, that's all I had to say. Hopefully, <laughs> a lot of the legal problems that this administration is having will not be forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, um, one would hope. Election time. <laughs> I can't imagine a more criminal president mm-hmm. than the one we have right now, mm-hmm. surrounded by. A hundred other criminals. Right. hundred people, right. most it's going such, to jail one at a time. Well, actually, I can't imagine it. I can imagine it in like the 19, you know, in the, you know, the monocled big. <laughs> yeah. The Monopoly Man. Uh, yeah, when Monopoly the, Man was the, president. The Tammany Tiger loose. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when they, when they, when they were basically just, everything was grifting and. Yeah. Well, time is cyclical and here we, it's, a, it's a pendulum and we're back to grift zone again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For no good reason. Well, there was a reason. No good reason. <laughs> yeah. It's I think not... I got it right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's either that or hopefully with the makeup of Congress right now. Something none might of happen? This, none of these horrible policies that have been basically rubber stamped will be able to make any progress. And then the base will just erode because yeah. none of the promises could have been. And I'll overdose on. on opioids, which will, you know, will just <laughs> wipe everybody out and we'll be all set. Measles and opioids will uh, yeah. take out the middle of the country and we'll be all we'll be good so uh the last podcast that i edited which was only a few days ago was right after the november 6th election and i don't remember i think we talked about nancy pelosi a little bit <laughs> Maybe. And, I, and i wondered so how do you feel about nancy pelosi now 
Um, I think she has seen where the political winds are shifting. <laughs> I, I don't. I, it's very hard to say because I think what happened in terms of success of getting a temporary resolution passed the and the shutdown mm-hmm. was twofold. It was mostly because citizens exercise their power. Yeah. Um, traf- air traffic controllers shut down airports. Um, the IRS agents stopped showing up to work. Mm-hmm. Like people who were working without pay, people who were people necessary for this government to function, for this country to function, stopped participating. And it was not a good look. However, I think that the only reason that it got to the point that they were able to exercise that power is because Nancy was able to whip people into united front. Right. That normally Democrats cave <laughs> on these things. I mean, they that try is to the find, irony here. Yeah, they try to find, they, they see the, the suffering. And they still were trying. Yeah, I mean, they, they were still they, trying. They, they see the suffering that's happening and they think, we're not going to give him what he wants, but we have to help these people. Like, they gotta have, give him something. We have we have to get these people back to work. We have to get this is the, the actual Americans are hurting based on this, and we need to find a way to compromise, even if we give up more than we should, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't. No. And it was refreshing to see them finally take a stand and say, "You owned this. You said you were going to own this. Fix it." And whenever he would try to like say like, "Well, maybe they'll give me the wall," she'd be like, "No, we're not. We're not even talking about it. It's not. A, it's a non-starter." No, 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 no. Like, I, and you can hold your breath as long as you want. We're not turning this car around. Like, no. So I think it stopped because citizens changed it, but mm-hmm. they were only given the opportunity because of Nancy Pelosi's political expertise. I think I would agree with Nicole, at least in terms of that. <laughs> um, I think that it is the sad irony here is that basically. I mean, they, the Democrats were still trying to make a compromise deal come through. The reason that that succeeded was Trump would not accept a compromise. Mm-hmm. If Trump had said, I'll take $3 billion for the wall then, that would have probably happened because they were already floating $2.7 billion for border security. But it wasn't for the security. wall. It was for border, border security, security. But that's still stupid. Well, listen, it was already mm-hmm. more like less than they had offered him to it begin is, with. It is, but it's still stupid. They are still trying to but th- give him gonna, something They were going to allot it specifically for like agents and drones sure. and things that are effective. Still stupid. It's, I mean, it, but it's it's not the wall. The wall is a racist monument yeah. built to his ego. That is all that that is. But so is... But I mean, any no, other Republican president would have said, great. You'd, okay, two point seven billion. Fine. Okay, we'll try again next year. It's not just the wall, though. Let me interject <laughs> here. It's focused on the southern border only. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I, like nobody problem. ever talks about the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. Well, but like... also if you look at the statistics, illegal immigration across the southern border has gone down seventy six percent since two thousand. Yes. Illegal immigration is growing in terms of people overstaying their visas. Mm-hmm. Building a wall or even just fortifying that border doesn't do anything. Doesn't do because anything. they don't actually care about that issue. Well, and the same with the but drugs they pretend and to, the and they they actually think they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, see, so <laughs> but I don't I don't even agree with that because you're saying well if they really cared about illegal immigration but they don't no they've never done they anything they care about it being a scary thing that they can illegal immigration to. has it doesn't it's not causing any problems there's not. Are you sure? Because massive I have heard crime that there waves are lots of murders and saying, out there. well, if the wall on the why are they doing a wall on the southern border? Shouldn't they put a wall on the northern? Border? Like, no, they shouldn't do any of this stuff no, because it, it's nonsense. Because they're not actually afraid of that; they're afraid of brown people. Yeah, but and uh, and the people who are pushing. I mean, Trump's 
maybe he's afraid of brown people. He's not in danger. No. He's just giving people what they who like him what they want, mm-hmm. whatever it is, regardless of whether it's yeah, because they're meaning not interested not. in securing and ports the, of entry. And what the Democrats did was say, "Well, we'll split the difference." The thing that I do think there's credit for is that they didn't keep trying to meet him halfway. Right. When he well, said no, was, they said we know. What I'm trying no to too. say in support of what you're saying <laughs> is even just fortifying the border, it's the same thing because you're focusing on the one border. If you're focusing, if you give him $5 billion to increase border security through whatever means, it's still all just focused on the southern border. It doesn't address our actual immigration problems. No, but I think that because immigration and all those other conflated issues are talked about with such lack of nuance, Mm -hmm. that the only way to survive that discussion, at least for now, is to not acquiesce the ground and to not let them frame you as the party that wants open borders, that doesn't care about security. So to at least say, that's absurd, we're happy to give you 5.7 for drones, we want to secure it as well, we just won't give you a wall, is the only way to not let them change the narrative. Because they will. uh, But it's not, that's not how we should be spending our money. No, that's five billion dollars that we could be <laughs> I mean, spending on addressing an buying, actual but, crisis. But we can't, we can't get the leverage to make those decisions unless you can get the votes. And the only way you can get the votes is to not let them reframe the discussion the way they I have don't even for agree with that. years. Because the, the the new wave of Congress people were not elected on a well, we need tough border security, right. just not a wall. They were elected on totally different things and should not try and compromise on what. Donald Trump and the Republicans for, I don't know, 20 years now, have decided is their issue. The thing, the racist thing that they like shouldn't be yes, what the Democrats the, try the and meet them in the middle the 30% on. The 30% of people who will never change their mind, who love the yeah. all, are not the who to pander to. No. But there is a large section of people who believe that they care about XYZ <laughs> yeah. because it's all been conflated. Right. And yeah. there's no nuance But they're there. wrong. <laughs> sure, but... You can't reach them to educate them on how these are separate issues and where they're really being affected if the entire narrative is co-opted and you are removed as a reasonable position from the discussion. If you are seen as the crazy open borders, socialist, Venezuelan leaning, you know, whatever, then you can't ever speak from a position of authority and say, no, 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 but actually I don't even agree there's this that. nuance. I mean, it's just... I don't think, and I and I would use as my current example as AOC, who does not cater to those whims and is very popular. She's very She's, popular with a very specific. Correct. She is correct. There's a large demographic of people who vote for Democrats, but yeah. are not of that persuasion, <laughs> and yeah. they still need to be reached. I am very glad that the Democrats mm. did not compromise, and that's why people like Pelosi are necessary. I am very glad that the Democrats did not compromise. I think the only reason that it worked that way is because Trump also did not compromise. He would not agree <laughs> to anything so until he until he just couldn't so take it stupid. anymore. I think, honestly, I, the only reason he caved, I don't even think he cared about the no, airports being it. shut down. I think he caved because he was convinced that he would get to give a State of the Union and be able to mm-hmm. build his case there. And I love that Nancy came out and was like, oh, nope. by the way, we didn't actually say we were going to invite you yet. We didn't actually yeah. say we're still going to have the state of the right, union at the end of the month. back and forth to we'll, each other. We'll let you know. 
might not be until February <laughs> till after this is like expired. Right, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, well, it's only temporary, so yeah. we're, still not, we're still not going to. Yeah. Also, 100%. because the government was shut down, there's going to be a, this lag time while we ramp things back up yeah. again. So I sorry, 100% sir. think that people convinced him, people who knew better, yeah. but convinced him and were like, listen, you do great on TV, as long it's as you get to awesome. talk directly uh, to the people, just, about just, that. just pass this resolution and then she'll be forced to let you talk at the State of the Union and then you can just declare an emergency. That's what stupid Seb Gorka tweeted, like, oh, this is him being ah, brilliant. He's such a them. genius. That's smart of them by like, giving them nothing. so stupid. But anyway, I'm sure that he believes that, though. I think that that is the narrative that convinced him. My cu- I'm very curious. Think it'll get shut down again? Yes. Yeah. I think it will. I kind of think it will, too, because I don't see how because anything's changed. Thing. The people who can actually make a difference in this scenario are people like Mitch McConnell. Yeah, and he doesn't he is, seem to have oh, yeah, he's completely any motivation up. to do so, which is astounding. Yeah, he is completely like just bowed out of this conversation as hard Although, as he can. I mean, Republicans are starting to sort of no, feel like he's away a mm-hmm. little bit, and uh, but does Trump would Trump care? He no, cares about his he cares about his popularity ratings, I don't, and they've gone down. I don't think he cares, but I think that the people who are allowing him. To get away with it, because you could pass it by a veto-proof majority. Yeah, you could. And though, so it really is at the feet of legislators like McConnell. Oh, that would yeah. be so. That's so interesting to me because as a strategy thing, they could pass it. You could get enough Republicans peeled away, but the ones who'd peel away would be just hammered by mm-hmm. everyone on the right and the left. But like, I disagree because a lot of I think the a lot of the pressure that's coming on them are people who have um, conservatives in their district who say they hate the government but have government jobs oh no so they work for federal prisons and things like that who actually will start to suffer if they're i mean i think it would be the right thing to do but i completely see a republican senator who's more moderate saying i will agree to work with the democrats we'll give some money to whatever and we'll do a compromise I mean, it's already get this open. yeah we'll get that enough and then the next election cycle you know john nazi will run in against yeah. him and say he worked with the Democrats. He didn't get this wall. I'm, I would never do that. I would never compromise I mean, on anything. That's how the Tea Party was to begin with. And that's yeah. how we got this stupid Freedom Caucus. And they really shouldn't have any political leverage anymore. No, they should. But I could totally see the political calculus of a, I'm doing air quotes, moderate Republican being like, I just can't, I can't make a compromise because I will know that I will get crushed. I will have no base for the next election cycle. I, I'm really curious to see what will happen if this gets... If three weeks from now, that's why I think it's the, another the pressure shutdown. has to come from constituents who are affected directly yeah. by this, from conservatives who have these kind of jobs, who are affected. Yeah, because the the, the part the Republican Party is just now completely split. Yeah, right. And just it seems like we're in uncharted waters. Yes, it like really does. the the reason that we're having this conversation at all is because even the experts aren't able to predict what's going to happen next, and mm-hmm. it's because Donald Trump's not predictable. No. And he's the president, so he can do whatever he wants. So, but he he is still subject to things happening around him. Or not subject to. He's affected by. Some. But we don't (laughs) know how he's affected. We know he is affected. We don't know how things will affect him or what his response to those things will be. And, And I think maybe that's why... My admiration for Nancy Pelosi has definitely increased. Yeah, no, because 100%. it seems like she's the only person I've seen so far mm-hmm. who who is actually meeting his level in a yeah. way that works. 
and I think anybody should follow her example. I hope that she is the example of, and I hope Chuck Schumer sees her getting good press and yeah, goes, oh, I should talk try about that. a guy who caves all the time and he, <laughs> yeah. and doesn't nearly get as he was with her at the White House. He doesn't and, get nearly as much blowback about it as she does. In, yeah, for obviously sexist uh-huh. reasons, like it's absurd. Yeah, um, but and this think, is even. I mean, she's even establishing a pattern. Before this happened, people were really down on her. Mm -hmm. And then they had that meeting in front of the press right after the win where she sat rod straight. You know, all these men were just sort of like looking weird, Uh, basically. And she was, her posture was perfect and she didn't take any guff. And she came out a winner. She was the only winner that came out Uh of that room. And she's the only winner right now. Yeah. People should copy that. She came around in terms of realizing that. She needed to get a lot of the new legislators to support her mm-hmm. as speaker and did things like, you Appoint know, putting them. AOC <laughs> on a good committee and things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, she's politically savvy. She's she is. always been. I think she just is now have has the room <laughs> to yeah. be the one with the spine that we've always wanted from Democrats. Yeah. I want other people to take... Even cowardly wimps need to take a cue from her and just go, well, it would be politically expedient for me to also yes. trash Trump all the time and well, not give him and any even space. even if they just look at who's been extremely successful this year. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke, AOC. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Mm-hmm. All these people who did things that didn't seem like they were, that were outside of the norm. I mean, and Beto I lost. <laughs> right. And we still think yeah, we still talk did about a him. good job. I don't know that I want him to run for president, but... He did Not an excellent job on that. But I'll, listen, but I'll listen to his platform. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. The other thing I'm really curious, this I mean, is the other for predictions corner. How do you think that bef- between now and the next episode we record, will Donald Trump tweet about AOC? Ooh. Has he tweeted about no. it yet? It's been months. And keep in mind that he usually live tweets everything he watches on Fox News, which does and live they AOC do coverage. so much stuff on He her. has not commented on her. At all. He's never mentioned it. Do you think it's because she's pretty? The theory that I've heard is that because she is political, she is savvy uh, with Twitter and other stuff that and he's cowardly. He does not trash people. He has not been trashing Nancy Pelosi for the last few weeks either. He... I love when he was like, and Nancy Pelosi, or Nancy as I call her. Yes. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you call her by her name? That Fantastic. He Weirdo. is scared of picking a fight with someone more popular than himself, so he won't do it. I don't, I genuinely don't know if he, like, is smart enough for those political calculations. I think so, because I think that's the only thing he's smart at. That's the only thing he's good at is the press game, and why else would he not do it? Oh. I mean, he has to watch hours of footage of her everything she does is on fox news and he has not said anything she tweets at him that's interesting isn't that interesting mm. hmm. I, yeah i wondered if she actually like was on his radar <laughs> i think she have of, to be on twitter because i know yeah like you said like the other fox senator talks about her all the time called him the motherfucker that got some play but not from him that's true not from him what do you think I wanted. I just want yes or no. Do you think between now and the, the next episode, did oh, Willie tweet okay. at her or um, about her? No, I say no actually because I think a lot more in terms of the special investigation is going to start happening, and he's going to be tweeting about all of that ad nauseum, mm, especially with the Roger Stone stuff. I think he's going to be. I want them. To, they need to get really Don focused Jr. on that. Don Junior, you know, is on that list, right? So I think he's They're going to be preoccupied with 
blowing up all that stuff. He's never preoccupied. He has plenty of time. (laughs) (laughs) There's nine hours a day of executive time. Yeah, he covers quite a bit. (laughs) But yeah, I think that's really going to be him sort of crumbling on that. I think he's I think he's going to more and more remove himself mentally from focusing on actual legislation and getting anything accomplished and more and more focused and myopic on staying out of prison. Interesting. Okay. Just wanted to float that idea out here. Something I find interesting. We'll find out. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring it up next episode. Do you, do you think he will? I kind of think he's going to. Okay. I think when his back's against the wall, he will because he'll Change have the subject. less. Yeah. It'll give him some some airtime. I almost thought that the reason that he came out and, and agreed to uh, open the government for three weeks was, was actually a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels like And that that's way. why Nancy came right Same out day. and was like, so what exactly does Putin have on Trump? Like <laughs> that night she was yeah. like, oh, what if we don't forget about this just because <laughs> the government was reopened? Yeah. I mean, that's going to fill the news for And she knows months, what she's doing. Because so. yep. he's going to, they, they're going to have court hearings. Mm-hmm. He's going to come dressed as the penguin. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We did it. We did it. Cocktail? Uh, uh, plugs? plugs plugs i really don't have anything to plug yeah. sorry you can i've been rewatching the... old stuff so like oh yeah we should do our what are we not bummed out about <laughs> thing I, i've been enjoying that um, you know what i wasn't bummed out by love wins it was a great book everybody yay. should read it it was really cool great. um i know it's an older movie it's not like super new but i just saw searching for the first time i heard that's good and it was surprisingly that i'm very like mm-hmm. not about gimmicky movies yeah um so i was a little afraid that this would be because the whole internet yeah, is it, it like um it, remember un- that that horror unfriended. movie we watched yes. yeah, unfriended. Okay. Yep. yeah same same sort of vibe and it is i don't know the actor's name john cho yeah okay. and mm-hmm. it's awesome so um yeah so i just was afraid it's gonna be gimmicky because it's just you watching him look at a screen so but it wasn't it was a really interesting way to tell a story and i tried to take a step back and say would this story have been as compelling if they had just told it mm-hmm. normally and i don't i don't think there's an effective way to tell that story yeah. in terms of the way that movies are made now because so much of what he discovers is via like text message and mm-hmm. emails and there's no fun way to see characters reading emails and text messages on screens um, so it was helpful to like watch him do that and see him react to those things. So yeah, I mean, it, again, it's not my favorite thing to watch like one cam mm-hmm. <laughs> focused, but it was it was just an it was a good movie. And did he's you see Unfriended. I did see Unfriended. Okay. Yeah, which again I thought was gimmicky. I think you can tell yeah, horror movies, but I kind of liked it. That. <laughs> yeah, it was entertaining. Um, but yeah, like for for this one, I just was I was just worried about it and. I thought the acting was great. He's great in it. I didn't know Deborah Messing was in it, and she's mm. in it. Um, and I think that the only parts where it really sort of felt disconnected was when he would make a phone call, and you would just hear the other person on the phone, because then it didn't feel like that person oh, was yeah. actually acting in the scene. It felt like that person was reading lines the mm. way you would to sort of like audition for something, mm-hmm. whereas in the rest of the movie when he interacts with someone via Skype or whatever, like they're having a conversation and you yeah. feel like the acting is still there. So anyway, it's just it's just an interesting movie and I had very low expectations for it. <laughs> sure. Um, but it was it was good. Uh, I saw a movie. We talked about this before we recorded. I watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Yay! twice because I liked <laughs> it so much. That's such a good movie. It's, it is one of those movies where you go and see it and it is so well made that it makes all other movies you've seen recently (laughs) look worse. The last time I remember feeling this way was probably seeing Mad Max Fury Road, where it was like, 
oh, this is an action movie, and it's so exciting and well-made and visually interesting and fun that it you makes me look at all the other action movies I've seen recently and go, oh, this these actually aren't very... These are not really good movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, similar. It's visually spectacular. The music's great. The voice acting's great. It's really funny. It's like an hour and a half long and extremely densely plotted, but not confusing. Yeah. It makes, I haven't heard anything bad about it. Makes Everybody all the other superhero it. movies look like crap. Oh, no. Well, I mean... <laughs> I kind of think it does. Not in, not entirely. They just aren't on the level with this movie. Uh, Wakanda yeah. Forever. So how dare you? I love Black Panther, <laughs> but I will say this movie's about an hour shorter and <laughs> equally good. How about that? All uh, right. No, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I would also say if you can see it in a movie theater in the biggest screen you possibly can. It is psychedelic would probably be the best way to describe it. All right. Um, I did not see it in 3D, which I think might be worth it. Did you see it in 3D? I don't like 3D movies. I don't either, but they this movie might be the I don't one think, part. No, we didn't see it in 3D. I've noticed that the 3D showings have been decreased significantly. Yeah, I've noticed so there's that only too. like two as opposed to... Mimi's here, by the way. Yeah, hi, Mimi. And Mimi broke into the room again, and now is rolling <laughs> around on the carpet. Having a great time. Hi, Mimi. <laughs> um, I would say that Into the Spider-Verse is the best movie I saw in 2018. And I saw a lot of movies yeah. that, that year. <laughs> I It is a, one of the rare movies where I am thinking about it like a week later, little scenes or like moments or character bits. It was a delight. Yeah, it is really a delight. It's really funny. It sparked joy. It's very cute. <laughs> uh, it's super well acted. There's some parts that are legitimately heart-wrenching, which you don't expect for what's basically a kid's movie. I don't think it was a kid's movie. I think it was just a movie. When I saw it at it's the Cinnabar. It's a cartoon. When I, saw it at the, when I saw it at the Cinnabar. Here's what I find crazy. I saw this at the Cinnabar, which is 21 older only. I saw it at the middle of the day on a Thursday. So it was me and four other single dudes by themselves eating lunch. All of the trailers for, were for kids' movies, like animated bunnies. It was The Secret Life of Pets 2. And I'm like, is your Cinepart 21 and over only? I think so. Because mine isn't. Mine is all ages, but you have you get carded when you order drinks. Oh, no. I get carded when I go in. There is one, not yours, but there's another one, I guess, in Issaquah. That's the one that's by me, yeah. I thought they had, like, certain times when kids could be there and then other times. Oh, maybe that was it. Because I was like, what kids would be seeing this? It's all ages, and then, like, there's a bar area, and you can't go in that area if it's 21 over. Mm. And then when you're in the theater and you're ordering stuff, if you order a drink, people card you. We're yeah. taking your order. No, they card me when I enter. So. Yeah, so ours doesn't have any. You, you you, could basically sneak into that theater. That's how lax it is in terms of like, <laughs> like we've had to, we bought tickets on Fandango oh, and I've like nobody touches in and we just walk in and we're like, do you, do you want to see our like ticket stub? And the guy was like, no, I'm like honor system. Thanks for being here. You want a burger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was hilarious of like, there can't be any kids in this audience. Why am I watching this? Thing. And then the movie, although it is sort of a kids' movie, like, but it's I wonder, serious. I mean, but people I get killed. If the trailers are predictated, Probably. and so wherever you're seeing that movie, it's the same trailers that play. Might be, it, but really delightful movie. Visually, something else. Go see it. Also, yeah, kids' movies are great. Kids' movies are great. So, yay for trailers for them. Uh, plugs. You know what? I just watched the last episode of season two of future man i don't know if either oh, i watched never... an episode or two i kind of liked it but i never got into it so season one i almost didn't i almost couldn't watch it like because it's really crude and it that's is very not, crude that's not my sort of thing but i, I got i can into confirm it. my mom does not like crude humor <laughs> she so, says she claims it's a science fiction comedy that is crude 
this season was it's on Hulu. Great. Second season two oh. was great. It reminded me of Rick and Morty from time to time. Mm, okay. There's a, I'm going to describe a, right? a couple no. scenes. <laughs> Is that alt right? No, no, but the fans of some of them are. Well, so there's this one scene because it's all time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's this in this season. There's this one scene where he opens a door where the uh, where Future Man Futterman. I can't remember yeah. his first name. Peta from the Hunger Games. Yeah, Peta. He's sort of like the chosen one, except he's not very Sucks. smart and not very heroic. Yeah. And he's got these two other people that he travels with who are from the future, from a horrible future where they're like really aggressive, you know, fighter type people. And that's, they are the core, the core people of this TV show. And he, he's been captured by some evil people and he opens a door and there is literally a pile of dead hymns in the room that oh, he has no. to crawl over <laughs> to escape from this room which is really amazing yeah that's something else <laughs> that was you know it's a really good show about time travel that's really funny in a really i guess irreverent way and also mm-hmm. it is still pretty crude but not quite as bad as season one well, maybe i'll give it another try um you could probably even just start at the beginning of season two mm-hmm. and the last episode is sort of a I'm assuming a like a preview of what the third season is going to be about. Oh, interesting. I actually have one more plug that you reminded me of from this, but it'll be I'll keep it very brief. I was to a podcast called Waypoint. It is a video game podcast where they talk about cultural stuff. They have a recommendations on theirs, so this is where I got this for a podcast called The City. Uh, it's produced by USA Today. Um, they wrapped, just wrapped up the first season. It's 10 episodes. They're around a half an hour to 45 minutes an episode. It's very brief. And there's commercials and stuff. Like, they're very short episodes. It is structured very similarly to something like Serial, where it's a prestige mm-hmm. podcast, and you kind of learn more about the story. Like, each half an hour episode kind of ends with a twist or, like, something happens, and it's a real-life event. I don't want to spoil it too much, um, because if you do get want to listen to it, some of the twists and turns are what's interesting about it. But it starts with, in 1990, I want to say 1994, uh, in sh- the movie, or the movie, the podcast is focuses on Chicago. Um, there is a guy who's got some mob connections, and he makes a deal with some folks, because he's hurting for money, to basically say, well, I own some empty lots, and if you need a place to dump your construction trash... I've got a place where you can do it at a discount and I'll just take a little kickback and you'll dump it. Um, and so the first episode is about in 94, there is this empty lot across the street from a school mm-hmm. in a black neighborhood. And there's like a six story mountain of trash, uh, mostly concrete and rebar and sand and stuff. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as trucks keep dumping and there's kids getting asthma and getting mm-hmm. hurt. Uh, and then other trash piles start appearing in the city and they, uh residents start like protesting it and there's a lawsuit and the guy loses the lawsuit but then he disappears and they can't find him and then as the episodes go on you find out more about the context of how this happened it is set up like it's a mystery like serial is Mm -hmm. it is more about environmental and racial justice Mm. in a very segregated city but it's really interesting there's lots of twists and turns and Unlike some of these prestige podcasty things you hear, the hosts or the creators are very careful to always 
bring it back to where they started with the people in this neighborhood. So even as it starts getting into really wild categories, then they're like, and don't forget this mountain of trash is getting bigger and there are people still being injured Mm -hmm. in these poor neighborhoods and they're not getting any attention or let's go check in. And it's now six years later. How's it going for Mm -hmm. these folks? It's really good. It's really interesting. And it's like cereal. There's a lot of twists that you do not expect coming and I don't really want to spoil them. Go listen to it. It's called the city. It's very short and easy to listen to. Hmm. Uh, I was going to recommend a specific episode of Skullduggery, yeah. which is, I, I've recommended that podcast before. Yeah. It's just, it's journalists interviewing people about <laughs> current day stuff. And I don't think it was this week's episode. I think it was last week's episode. Last week being January something or other. 15th-ish. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Um, they interviewed two historians who decided to teach a class on I believe it's 1974 specifically Mm -hmm. and how it is a pivotal year and kind of has led to a lot of the things that we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was really interesting. They had some, the other part of it, you know, part of it is to bring that con the context of that time period to people, to their students who were, they weren't even born when nine 11 happened, you know? And we have, had a little, you know, we've had sort of a little bit of an introduction to 19... I mean, we just watched a movie from 1974 mm-hmm. yeah, today. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, we watched... Um, oh, it wasn't from 1974. It was from 1984, but it was about the late 70s or events from the late 70s. And we watched recently uh, the, you know, the Vietnam War was going on still in 1974. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was really interesting. It was a really interesting episode of a pretty good podcast. It's worth listening to. Hmm. I, for my tastes they're a little too neutral but that's what they're supposed to be <laughs> as report as journalists they're supposed to be neutral you can do that a right good way and a wrong way i think right. and they for the most part they do it the right way and they mm-hmm. they ask hard questions it's a good it's a good podcast you just have to take into account they're not going to be they're i think they still are probably left leaning otherwise they probably sure. wouldn't be able to listen to it at all but they are pretty even-handed mm-hmm. all right cool all right is so it this drink cocktail. time now? Yeah. yeah, let's do the drink. So for this one, I settled on doing a Harvey milkshake. <laughs> yeah, that was early. <laughs> um, and in, in case you wonder why there was clinking throughout the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So there were some spoons involved. <laughs> and so, and I decided, um, you can either call it a Harvey milkshake or a Harvey milkshaker, depending mm-hmm. on your preference, because the flavors of it are sort of supposed oh, yeah. to mimic a Harvey Wallbanger, mm-hmm. which was popular in the 80s. And so that was what I settled on. Why is it Harvey? Harvey Wallbanger? Yeah. It's just what it's called. Is that a guy's name? It is a guy's name, I believe. I think I knew that at one time, but I can't dredge it up now. Interesting. Yes, I do think there is a man named Harvey involved who may have invented it. Um, So the flavors in a Harvey Wallbanger, it's it's orange juice, Galliano, and vodka is what goes into a Harvey Wallbanger. What's Galliano taste like again? It is one of those herbal ones. Mm. And uh, I sort of looked up what the flavors of it are supposed to be. And it's supposed to be a little bit of orange, a little bit of licorice, and a little bit of vanilla. Mm -hmm. Actually, pretty heavy licorice flavor. Okay. So um, I ended up with some blood orange gelato that I got from Whole Foods and started working with that. And I wasn't entirely satisfied with it. So I decided to make the gelato myself so it had the flavors that i want mm. so i kind of got a basic hey you call this ice cream <laughs> it's not ice cream it's gelato <laughs> um although what is the difference between ice cream and gelato i'm not Italy. entirely sure because <laughs> <laughs> this is made with cream and milk and eggs which i think go in 
into ice cream as well. I think it might be how much air content or something. There is a difference. It is fluffy. The method of churning and things like that. Yeah. For this recipe, you sort of boil down. I chose blood orange. It has a slightly tangier flavor. Mm -hmm. You boil the blood orange juice down to sort of a syrup, and that's what flavors it. Um, But I also added anise to the milk. You cook the. You make a custard, and I added Mm -hmm. anise to the custard, which I think is what gives it. I mean, it's. The ice cream is really good tasting. Yeah, it is. There's, It's got some kind of flavor combination that it is really good. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's I agree. the anise with the orange that really I does think it. So. Um, and then uh, Jacob gave me a, what do you call those things? Oh, it's uh, the whipped cream thing. Yeah, like, Karen and I got you for Christmas. The, like aerosol canvas. Yeah, it's an aerosol. It aerates stuff that's inside it. <laughs> uh, a whipping siphon, I yes. believe, is what it's called. So. I used that for the whipped cream, and I added Galliano, and I also had made an orange syrup, which also has anise and vanilla in it, mm. and I used that to flavor the whipped cream as well. And it had a slice of a chocolate orange on and it. And it had a chocolate-covered orange, um, candied orange yeah, for garnish. And sprinkles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really good, although very heavy. Right. <laughs> My stomach's been churning this whole time. <laughs> yeah, a milkshake. I don't know if I can even eat a milkshake now. At this time it's in a my lot. life. It's a lot of milk. It's, yeah. a, lot of it's a lot of sugar. Yeah. Cream and sugar. Yeah. But really, really tasty. That's a good dessert. Yeah. I'm for it. Yeah. So we are done with the 80s, by the way. Yeah. Well. Wow. Yay. <laughs> we did two 80s movies. Welcome to the 90s. Born There's no Plains like He-Man and... movie we can watch. Yeah. Is there like a political He-Man? <laughs> Aren't they all political? Yeah. We just didn't understand It's a pretty political We're going to get into movies situation. from my life. Now, right. movies that existed. And movies you've been waiting for. I'm super excited for our next two movies. Yeah, good. I mean, I think some of these are going to be maybe more entertaining and not as... not. They're not going to be as boring. Sure. They may not be good. <laughs> but they'll be entertaining. What they are. What are they? Well, for our next watch, we're doing Bob Roberts. That's good. Which is a fun movie. Although... I don't know if I'd say fun. <laughs> yeah. It's but a, it is exciting. Well, I haven't seen it since the 90s. Yeah. When I saw it in the 90s, it was like, oh, this is a little... I mean, it's funny because it's a comedy, but it's also, oh, this is a little creepy. That was my experience watching it a few years ago. <laughs> so Did you we'll see, see Bob Roberts, Nicole? No. You are going to be yeah. impressed. I You're going to be You're gonna affected like that movie. by this movie. We'll see, guys. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah. I think we you'll enjoy it. We shouldn't it. pump it up too much, though, because it's better to have low expectations. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't like Tim Robbins? Like life. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Robbins is cool. Yeah, it's Tim Robbins, and he's playing a conservative, religious conservative political candidate. He was... When Glenn Beck was popular, he was compared to Bob Roberts often. Excellent. Okay. Jack Black is in it. Jack very, Black. very young Jack Black. Jack Black plays a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, a little alright boy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. What's the other movie? I remember it being good. Uh, the other movie is Game Change, which is a movie Sounds about familiar, Sarah Palin. Palin. Ah, aha! Is that a that's a, a movie Speaking movie, not a documentary? Who quit their it's jobs. A, it's a yeah. yeah, it's a movie movie. Okay. It's Somebody a, play, an actress plays Julianne Sarah. Moore. Yeah. Plays okay. Sarah. Was Bale. it like an HBO? Yeah, thing? I think yeah. it was a TV thing, not yeah. a in theaters thing. Just like the case against State. Mm-hmm. Although that did go, that was released in theaters. Eventually. Oh, was it? Hmm. All right, I'm kind of excited about those movies. That'll yeah. be interesting. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting to compare somebody's uh, satire to what to somebody's movie about something that actually happened. It could be satire. <laughs> When did Wag the Dog come out? I'm trying to think of Ooh, political uh, movies 94? from my childhood. Okay. Is that on your list? Sorry. No, it's not. Which? Okay. Oh, no, it's not. We do have upcoming. We're going to. I have to look at the list again. But um, 
I remember we talked about some movies that I don't remember if they ended up on the final list or not. Spe- I remember we talked about There Will Be Blood as a movie to watch. Uh, speaking of Did drinking we? milkshakes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Way, our, way back in the Our beginning. second 90s movie is Primary Colors, which I'm also somewhat wow. excited oh, to see. Oh, interesting. I haven't seen that. I know there's a book, so I'll be mm-hmm. reading the book for that one. The other thing, for Sarah Palin, I found out that Katie Couric this year has done a podcast about Sarah Palin and mm-hmm. that campaign, so I'm going to mm-hmm. listen to that. Okay. Interesting. Um, and But Primary Colors is a fiction about the Clinton campaign for yeah. president, which was written by anonymously originally the book was anonymous <laughs> and then later the guy who wrote it who was like who was close al to gore <laughs> wasn't al gore i don't oh. remember who it was but he came out and said it was me what what episode number are we currently on 17 i think this is 17 oh we've been doing this for almost a year and a half yeah more than a it's been more than a year <laughs> a lot more than a year that's true. there's a lot of movies <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's been interesting. I mean, at some point we should talk about the whole process. Yeah, from, mm-hmm. you know, whatever our first movie was. Oh, what, women's what, suffrage. <laughs> what women want, question mm-hmm. mark. What 80, 80 million women want, mm-hmm. question yeah. mark. Yeah. <laughs> to to uh, whatever we end up with. Are we going to do a special episode? We talked about that in our last uh, two episodes back. We're okay. going to watch The Battle in Seattle. Oh, right. We're going to see if we can get, see if we can find somebody who was there. Right, I forgot I should do that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll ask around. But that that's seems appropriate because we—that's where we live, and that's yeah. a thing that happened here. People <laughs> it, battled during our here, lifetimes. and they could battle again. <laughs> we should record it live on, uh, live on May Day, outside. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> when I mean, people we're are throwing coming up rocks. on the anniversary, so yeah, I bet it'll be crazy this year. It usually is. Not ah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So I guess that's all. Yeah. Good app. Good app, everybody. Go watch movies. Go watch TV. Yeah. Go make a cocktail. Try D- try and be good. Try and take it easy. Yeah. Next month. Drink just... a Harvey milkshake. Watch, Drink it up. Watch the times Drink of Harvey Milk. Read Love Wins. It's great. Listen to the city and just go easy on yourself. <laughs> we, we hope this podcast sparks joy for you. <laughs> yeah. Usually I tell people to volunteer or whatever, but this month, just take, take it easy. Yeah. I think it's take it easy time right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's been a long two years, and uh, it's a good time to take. Yeah, a break. government's back open. Go get your court case in federal court. Right. Go file ride an airplane. Get ready to, you know, you got three weeks to file your taxes. Go, 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 go. <laughs> go to the spa and uh, get ready to campaign for whoever the Democratic nominee is. Mm-hmm. Get ready to primary for whoever you like. That's yeah. gotta start oh, there. Yeah. All right, Let's we gotta wait here. Okay, yeah. Start with the primary. Promote the person you like. We'll check in in a few months. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Okay. Bye. Well, bye. bye. Thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah. Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house. The classmates would taunt the child. And the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV, and that child had several options. Staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco, and there are two new options. The option is to go to California. <laughs> stay in San Antonio and fight. Two days after I was elected, I got a phone call, and the voice was quite young. 
was from Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the person said, thanks. And you've got to elect gay people so that that young child and the thousands upon thousands like that child know that there's hope for a better world. There's hope for a better tomorrow. Without hope, not only gays, but those blacks and the Asians and the disabled and the seniors, the us's, the us's, without hope, the us's give up. I know that you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. And you, and you, and you, you've got to give them hope. Thank you very much.